everyone. Welcome back to For the Sake of Argument podcast. I'm your host, Abrams, along with my co-hosts. Let me introduce to you the man who knows no stranger, who literally will go out of his way to embarrass people and watch their face turn red in public, <laughs> Grizzly. <laughs> I remember one of the first times I got to hang out with, with Grizzly. We were... Well, I'll just tell the story of the first time I ever talked to you. Okay. That was hilarious. So I'm this I'm this little white farm boy, right? I'm 14 <laughs> years old and 13. I, 13, 14, somewhere in there. And um and my sister keeps telling me about this guy, right? And she had talked about guys in the past, but it had never been that big of a deal. And she, I had met maybe two of her boyfriends in the past. And she's just going on and on about this guy that she met up in in the middle of nowhere. She met literally could not have been more middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, yeah literally. Like that area is just... <laughs> so she's telling me about him. She's, oh, he's a great guy. He, oh, he's wonderful. You're going to love him, blah, 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 blah. And she's talking to him on the phone long distance, which back in the day, you know, long distance was like expensive. And so... It oh, like, really was. Yeah, it's like <laughs> her her habits of talking to him for, while she was in town with us was was costing them a pretty penny. And he had a pager, a beeper, right? Did you just call it a beeper? Ooh. Did you sell drugs? No, no, he was just cool. <laughs> All the cooler guys had him. So, so she she beeped him, and he he calls, and they're talking on the phone for a few minutes and stuff. And she's like, "He wants to talk to you." I'm like, "What? I've never met this guy. I've never seen him. I know very little about him. Why does he want to talk to me? I'm just a punk little thirteen year old kid, you know? Like it did not make sense to me. And so we get on the phone, and he's just like. Yo, what's up, bro? <laughs> I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> and he just, he talked to me for a solid half hour to the point that Audrey's like, come on, give me the phone back. Give me the phone. I want to talk to him. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll give him the phone back and stuff. But from that moment on, I was like, yeah, no, I, I felt like I knew Grizzly from that moment on just because there was no, he, he never has that fear. That's one of the things is just. I really don't. It's a blast going with you in public and seeing people's reactions. We were actually talking about reactions earlier with people being a little reclusive at first and then they're like you just take the guard down and, and that's the thing is we're not small guys i'm i'm even back when i was 13 14 i was starting to you know be a pretty big guy but you know you're you're right at that six foot six one mark and you were at that time what 245 yeah about 240 245 yeah uh, i still had my athleticism back then yeah and i could jump and grab the rim yeah and hang on it you know, and yeah. I did it just because I could. Oh, there's there's a good time you had with one of my uncles playing playing some basketball. <laughs> Old oh, farm boy. I've <laughs> never been outplayed that much in my life. Yeah, well, it's fun. Like I remember, we used to run to Twenty uh, Four Hour Fitness, and mm-hmm. we used to we used to play basketball up there once in a oh, while. Yeah, loved it, and it was a blast because you know I just I was a well, I was a tank in there. I was just I just bulldoze people and just literally like, just get out of my way. I was not that great at basketball, but get me under the rim. I'll get some rebounds. I'll get some layups and stuff. And you're definitely a good, uh, more of a defensive player. Oh, definitely. And, and Grizzly good. surprisingly could shoot. But my thing was like the spinning jump shot. And we got into this rhythm together and had a blast. He goes and plays with my uncle, who's literally a cattle farmer in the middle of nowhere he had cowboy boots on literally had cowboy boots on and just smoked you guys up and down the court dude <laughs> I, I played the other guy that played with us uh he was six foot five with an eight foot vertical reach now Ugh. i could out muscle both of these guys right but y- your uncle just i told him i says next time i'll tackle you he said you'd have to <laughs> <laughs> well, and you didn't know no competition up to that point. You hadn't known that he actually no. was like a state basketball player. Like. I felt like that kid on that Kobe commercial, the spray commercial. Yeah. Where he throws a ball up and he, you know, the guy smack. Except this one, I tried to stop him. It's like playing a globe trotter. Yeah. 
without the whistle. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know what's so funny about that is all growing up, all I ever knew my uncle was was cattle. Like we'd we'd go and I'd be able to run with him and, and my dad sometimes we'd go you know run cattle. I had no idea he played basketball. Dude, you found that out before I ever his did. game is a if you mixed uh Reggie Miller, the three point shooting, yeah, and John Stockton. Yeah. That's what he was your uncle was like. Dude, he is and as a class human being. Oh yeah, and I remember the most down to earth, salt of the earth type of person. Well, and he was more like a brother to me. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah, you guys are actually pretty similar in age. You weren't. No, he's a little older. He had um, what, fifteen years on you? No, I don't think he had that much um, because uh, your mom is my sister's age. Okay, they're about the same age. Okay, and they don't, and she doesn't look at either. No. Not at all. I mean, I, I look older than either one of them. So, <laughs> you know, and they, they love that. Oh, stop. <laughs> you know? Women love to be complimented. Oh, period. And going back to our other co-host, welcome to the show, Red. Hey, how you doing? Not bad, not bad. We got to tell a story about Red. I, I don't have a ton of stories, but I can tell you this man right here, Red is the first person to call you out if you mispronounce if you, he's the English, the English Nazi. What, what is that? Uh, was that? Uh, oh, what? There what's was that, a sketch. What's that chain? There was a comedy sketch where they had the the grammar Nazi, and he goes into this. Uh, like literally, this makes me think of Red. Word he, crimes. <laughs> he walks in. It, it's this. It's a. It's a comedy sketch. I think it was on Comedy Central or something. But this Nazi, you know, SS soldier walks into the house, the, the Dreyfus's house, where they're hiding Jews. And he sits down at the table with the with the father, and and he's they're they're talking back and forth, and he's you start. Oh, using, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he starts yeah, using the wrong kind English. Of a, this is a spoof of the uh, of the very opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. And so he's like, they call him the grammar Nazi <laughs> because he ends up saying, "Oh, that's interesting. You used a dangling participle, and you know, blah blah blah." And he's like, "That's how I know the Dreyfuses are hiding the Jews." <laughs> it's like. That I'm not saying you're a Nazi, no, by any not. stretch of the imagination, but just your 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 quickness to that. I, I like the what what, it, what is your favorite team? The Boston who? Celtics. I, first of all, <laughs> I don't even like basketball. <laughs> Second of all, but if you had a favorite, it'd be the it'd be no, the they, what, what were they called? No, they they completely mispronounced their name. They call it the Celtics. It's, I don't even know what that is. The word is supposed to be pronounced Celtic, I, and I'm with you on that. And the only reason. I even care about the whole Celtic thing anymore is because I listened to it was like an eight hour history podcast with Dan Carlin and he goes into the history of the Celtic like world and dude, it's literally all of my ancestral roots. Yeah. Like every last one of them. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, no, too. I'm going to have to show it some respect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, there's a reason why we call you red. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that I, I do not always speak correctly. I make my own mistakes, yeah. but I am my own harshest critic of my own verbal mistakes. So <laughs> my sure wife gets that? frustrated at me. That's because the one I was waiting for. <laughs> my wife gets frustrated at me because when she when she feels like she's got to speak on eggshells, so to speak, <laughs> and to use an analogy. But anyway, she, she gets so frustrated whenever I correct her. But she'll also get frustrated because when I misspeak, a lot of times I'll backtrack and then correct myself. And she's like, I... I I'm telling her I treat her, I treat everybody equally. Even I, when I'm guilty of it, I still go back and correct me. It's not it's not that I have to correct people. Yeah. It's that I want everyone to be right. Let's just all be right. Yeah, exactly. Because if so, I agree uh, with you, then we're all wrong. Then, <laughs> so so you're like my kids. They're like the word police. Yeah. But the thing is, Red does it with good intent. 
he, he legitimately just wants to fix it so you understand you missed it. Because then maybe you won't do it in the future and you don't have to like hit have this train wreck in his head. There's nothing that short circuits my brain more yeah. than when somebody doesn't use the word an correctly. <laughs> yeah, so but when somebody says like say yeah. like you you a idiot. You a idiot. No. <laughs> no. Just it caught it just fills me with so much rage. And it's such a simple thing. It's it's just that's that's, that's the old that's pointing my, at somebody and having three fingers pointing back at you. Right, you know, like no, to me, no, not that's so like much. You're, you're trying to call somebody an idiot, and you are being oh, yeah. the idiot. No, from that standpoint, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's just it's that's the the pet peeve thing that that shorts out my brain more than anything else when Before, people do that. Now, I've got other ones, but that's that's the worst. For I, me. I think that what happens is is that commas and all like that matter, and context matters. Oh yeah, all because commas you, matter. Yeah, so if they, uh, uh, I think all black Gosh, I was rifles. Slow on the uptake on that one. I, that was that was good. <laughs> I think I like black that. rifles matter. They do. We need to get you. We do need to get you that shirt. Um, I'm probably gonna go get it. Yeah, just I, uh, just so people can stare. Absolutely. To be honest. Yeah. And then and then they'll look and like, all rifles matter. <laughs> I'm gonna say black you. rifles matter just to be look. I'm gonna be, the, I'm gonna be the Tom McDonald and say no rifles matter. <laughs> okay, well, Red, why don't you introduce us? We're, um, you know, unless you're the soda. Grizzly, emperor. Grizzly's not going to partake in our in our habit, but nope. we have a habit, and our habit is to introduce each other to different flavors of drink. Absolutely, and the thing is, I will give people crap for everything. But I have one exception. I will never give somebody crap for trying to better themselves. So I will not give Grizzly crap for not for not drinking. Yeah, absolutely, man. But he's better than us. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm better, uh, but I just chose smarter. I stopped drinking in 1976. Yeah, and I decided yeah, it is hidden for me. I don't think Red and I were thought of yet, but yeah, no, you were. Probably, <laughs> I think no. you were thought of. I wasn't. No, I wasn't. No. I promise you, you unless were. unless my parents were daydreaming about one day having a kid, but yeah, I wasn't. It always happens, <laughs> dude. It was the sixties and the seventies. You see a girl like, man, I wonder what you know, kids by her she, would be she, like. Yeah, that could happen. You know, uh, I well, remember nineteen seventy five. The year before that, I got into a fight with this girl, big, tall, light skinned sister. And like fist fight or just arguing? Yeah, fist fight. Oh, oof. I got the living hell beat out of me. So, fast forward, about 16 years old, she tries to push up on me. Hey, what's up? Oh. Like, Not you. <laughs> <laughs> no. He shut her down because she picked on you when you were little. No, she didn't pick <laughs> on me. She beat me. It's like, <laughs> this is like, uh, you know, Hulk fighting Loki, and I'm Loki. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Smash, man. Puny God. <laughs> All right. That's what it was like. Uh, the whiskey that we're drinking is Tomori Dew. And this is an Irish whiskey, and this is actually so there. Are, there are different kinds of, uh, there are different styles of whiskey as far as uh, doing like a single distillery or single distillation, or um, if you do a malt whiskey, they have single malts, and then there are blended whiskeys. And so a blended whiskey is when you actually take samplings of multiple different whiskeys, blend them together in order to get a unique flavor. And you're looking for certain notes, certain things that you're then uh, adding together. They'll basically complement each other, but also give it more depth. Exactly. Okay. So uh, then Tomorrow Dew actually does three different kinds of uh, Irish whiskey. So there's um, uh, Golden 
grain whiskey, a pot still whiskey, and a malt whiskey. So those are three typical styles in Ireland of the way that they do their whiskeys. And this is a blending of all three of the styles. Okay. So Makes sense. They age it in uh, sherry oak and bourbon oak casks. Okay, when you say age, how long does this process well, take? It sounds like there's two different agings that occur. Is that right? Uh, yeah, typically. Because well, you said I mean, there's two different barrels. So is it like... Half of the blend goes in one barrel, half goes in the other, and they bring them back, or two well, so, separate agings? So I would assume uh, that they would actually take, they probably purchase um, some of the whiskey that's already been aged. It might not be aged yet, but they probably some purchase some previously aged whiskey in their blend. I, they, they might do process where they put both sherry uh, staves and the bourbon staves together to make a single barrel. Mm-hmm. I think it's, prob- it's more likely that they do... Um, Sometime in a sherry cask and sometime in an oak cask. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, so that's... And it goes through a triple distilled process. Yes. <laughs> so here's what I'm kind of wondering. I'm kind of wondering what is the oldest alcohol that they've ever found? Could you imagine something then that's... A Phoenician several, wine. I was going to say, I know there is some wine that's like literally several hundred years old. Now I'm talking about maybe even a thousand or, or plus years. I don't know if they found anything that old. Oh, no. I think they found a Phoenician wine that was like... Was like more than two thousand years old. What? You see my arm? Yeah, I do yeah. see it. I just got goosebumps. No, imagine I, I got goosebumps when I took that swig. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if 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 this wine was several thousand years old. Well, they found some at Gobekli Tepe. Okay, you know what? This that would is, be interesting, wouldn't it? <coughs> We're gonna it, go would, back to this. Would it, would it ruin? Because there's one more thing I want to do, but this goes back to the alien discussion that we are going to have today at okay. some point. Okay. Okay. Because we brought this up, the whole Bob Lazar, the me, you know, there's a bunch of media coming well, out from the military. Yeah, but CNN, no, we'll, even even we'll them, we'll, we'll get we'll to, it. to it. Okay, we'll get to it. So the next thing we're going to do, by the way, we're going to give just a quick review. My first impression, first sip of this, literally, I had goosebumps pop up. Like that was really cool. There was it, it's a. I, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It is just a very mellow tone. It's on the lower side of the tones. It's not anything real bright. It's not brash in your mouth, and it's got a smooth finish. There's no harshness no, there, to it. There's, so I got a light note of vanilla there, a, kind of a little bit of a sweetness. And then there's, uh, I'm definitely getting uh, some of the oak from the bourbon. Oh. The sherry's probably given a little bit of. Uh, I'm thinking I'm, I'm, that sherry is what I'm, I'm tasting a little bit yeah. of. That's giving it a, a lot smoother tone. So yeah, it's it's good. I like. Okay, it. so yeah. wine has been around for several thousand years. I think so. Yeah. Could you imagine them finding one of these? What would happen to wine if it was that old? Would it be the same? Well, if it's bottled correctly, and, and it's, it's wine, alcohol airtight. contents. The, I think wine maybe struggles more than a than a you know a harder distilled liquor would, just because of the. Let's say it's alcohol like this. I mean, if it's a, if it's yeah, if it's a bourbon or whiskey or something like that or something a moonshine, distilled. it's it's gonna last. It'll last that amount of time. I'm not sure it would take on good flavor necessarily. A lot of that probably depends on like sunlight. If it's getting a bunch of UV exposure, depends on if it's staying in a in a cool dark place. Well, but if it's something made that that long ago, it would be in like a clay or earthen jar. It wouldn't be in actually. A you're right. Or yeah. Glass if it was really over a thousand years old, it wouldn't be glassed. But they, that Phoenician wine that they found, that I, I want to say it was over 2,000 years old. That's um, quite a, that old. But yeah, they found it in a shipwreck. Okay. And yeah, because so, uh, I knew it was a shipwreck and there was, wine was yeah, found there. Was a wax, so was it underwater? So there was yeah. a wax seal yeah. around the... Uh, that means it's no air Around the lid. Oh, right. Yeah. 
no air and and no and water. No water. Exactly. If you if you if you actually seal it correctly, you bottle that correctly. That should last. I'm not sure about if you have a good flavor at the end of it, but I don't know. But the fact that it's still there. <laughs> yeah, we should. I've, I've heard that it's it's edible though. That the old stuff that they found we should is look it still. Up. Hold on. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Okay. While you're doing that, I'm gonna move into our EDC check. So what we decided to start doing is checking each other and see what we carry on a daily basis as far as literally any everything is a part of your EDC. So your watch, your wallet, your phone, your keys, you, the tools that you carry, the pocket knives you carry, the guns you carry, whatever it is, because we want to kind of get an idea of what, who carries what and why and, and just variety. It's kind of fun. So, All right, uh, so I've got our answer. Okay, real quick. What's the answer? So the spare wine bottle is a sealed vessel presumed to contain liquid wine. And it is named so because it was unearthed from a Roman tomb found near Spare, Germany, and is the world considered Germany? the world's oldest bottle of wine. Wow. Okay, so this wasn't I in didn't the ocean. See that coming at all? So this was no, it wasn't in the ocean. It was it was buried in a tomb. In a tomb. Wow. So they found it in 1867, <laughs> and they believe the bottle was made was uh, dated between 325 and 350 A.D. Holy smokes! That is around that 1500 year mark. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, that'd be like literally 1600 and something odd years, yeah, right? Yeah, 1671. Uh, if they want to go with the uh, earlier, or the earlier date of 325, then that would be 1646. Goodness, yeah, that's you crazy, know. man. Well, look at the ground preserved. preserved. Yeah, and don't open it. No, it that, did, well, that's the most valuable bottle of wine ever. Think about the technology that we have. We ought to be able to find a way to do some like you know light spectrum, you know, analysis on that and figure out um, what's really in it. Yeah, Unless you open it, you're not going to know. I don't know if X-ray would even do anything because it's liquid. Just like, well, yep, there's a liquid in there. But if it's liquid, uh, you would think if it's in the water. Well, it wasn't in the water. It's oh, in the that's the picture. So it really is glass. Yeah. Wow. Well, well the Romans had glass, but I thought like so I, they probably got that still in a different I didn't place, think it though. would be. Oh, I would. I dude, would they, they, undoubtedly. You, you got to start wondering. Somewhere. Now, how did they make something that would last that long, that good, that early well really they're just using basic stuff and it worked right like they're using glass so glass is really impermeable for the most part there is things that can get through glass but well, it, um and then a wax seal with a probably a cork most likely yeah, yeah well, glass so, is synthesized uh what sand it's fused sand yeah, silicon yeah. yeah yeah and and it's unless something bre- you break it you're not getting through it. Well, some, sunlight's getting through, through it. it. You're getting uv light through it that kind of thing but acid won't go through it well but you can have a lot of stuff that leaches through so yeah. Anyways, but the point being is, is like that is in, number one incredible that it even lasts that long. But uh, like, I, I really hope they don't break that open. I hope they find a way to test it without having to really oh. mess with it and just see how long we can keep it around. <laughs> well, if it's in the tomb, even if they dropped one drop somewhere in the tomb, yeah, you can get it from that. That's true. But if they sealed it that good, there's no way. All right. So Grizzly, let's go into your EDC real quick, man. What do you What do you carry with you? What's on you today? Uh, besides a marriage ring. Uh, I have a Casio watch. Oh, you just brushed over that. I uh, think I think Miss Grizzly's gonna be upset. Uh, she won't. <laughs> not after not after it's twenty plus years of marriage. Yeah. Uh, so, and <laughs> oh, what's what's what watch you carrying again? A Casio. Okay. And or, it's a. Do you know what model it is or anything? Yeah. Uh, it's it's nice though. It's a it's a um, twenty two dollars. Okay, Walmart. <laughs> That's the thing. Casio can be really cheap. It's and they can be really expensive. But you know what? Hey, if it works, it Dude, works. It has went. Through, I've submerged it in water. I don't know how many times. Yeah, and it keeps coming. Yeah, hey, takes it a lick and keeps on. Well, wait a minute. 
quit talking about your wife again. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow, that's your sister. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so what else do you carry? You got a wallet? No, keys, no. I, hold on. I want, I want to throw out a real quick story. There was that uh, she told me your your wife told me a story about you. I'm listening. The uh, we maybe we'll go into it a little bit later, but she said it was the first time that you'd been in handcuffs. And I looked her dead in the eye, and I didn't say it. I really wanted to, but I didn't say it. It's like, wow, you just told me that you're really boring. (laughs) If you're with somebody for over 22 years, they're not boring. But hey. uh, (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So I do have a um, uh, Springfield Armory uh, Hellcat. Uh, I think it's, I specifically picked it because... Uh, it holds 13 rounds with yeah. one and then 11 with the other one. And at the time, and with, now it's funny. With one mag and 11 with the other mag. Yeah, and, and now they have a 15-round mag. Yeah. That is extraordinary. I mean, we're talking about that has the same capacity. It's 9 mil, right? As the Glock 19 I bought in 89, I think it was. Yeah. Okay, so, and I don't like the XD of Springfield, and I never have. But they really got it right with this Springfield uh, yeah. Hellcat. I mean, really, it's compact, it's reliable, easy to take down. I've never had an issue with it. I have a Versa carry that I put the belt in, and it fits pretty good against your body. I'm inside a, the waistband, outside, uh, outside the waistband. Yeah, uh, and it's and very, what position? So twelve o'clock being your belly button, probably four o'clock. Four o'clock position. Yeah. I, uh, but first of all, me being the size I am, I'm not a small person, so. Appendix carry probably isn't the best idea. Yeah. Okay, because then... It's difficult. Yeah, it is. I've seen some guys, some guys that I would not think would be comfortable doing it, do it, and I'm... I'm I think it's the way they wear their clothes. I I think that's... I don't know. That's like the scenario where you see the joke where the woman is like, hey, uh, she's putting on here the cat's missing, and then you see the cat splattered (laughs) all over her behind because she sat on it. (laughs) Well, see, I think that's what would happen if that was me, so that's... Why decline that? So do you carry a pocket knife or anything? I have a pocket knife because I love knives, and I've gotten several gifts. Um, the one I got, uh, I, I we open boxes and stuff like that and try not to cut one another. <laughs> and then I have one I got from the sheriff. Uh, that's If that gets damaged, I don't care. But the one I the, I got from a good friend of mine, uh, it was from Germany, I try to, you know, not necessarily baby it, but not damage it. Yeah, so you'll carry it once in a while, but you just try not to abuse it? Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm so, so glad you think of me as a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> that was him, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> so I like the, I really, really, because um, at first I was going to get either a um, some type of Glock, because I love Glock. Yeah. But the Springfield impressed me more, because if I do get in a shootout, and God forbid, then I, I have several more rounds that, uh, you know, if God forbid that happens, that I can respond with. My, my duty weapon was 17 plus 1, 9 mil. You're at 15 plus 1. Well, actually, this is 13. And it's a much smaller. It's yeah, much smaller. Much and smaller if, gun. And here's the thing. I can get I can get right now. I'm going to wait probably six months, and I'm probably going to end up getting a 15. Yeah. And it, all it adds is about an eighth of an inch more. Yeah. And you get two more rounds. That's just, so that's called. They're coming, they're coming ways. That's <laughs> called incredible ingenuity. Absolutely. And that's something American gun companies are great at. As long as they don't get stifled. Well, you know, these politicians are doing everything they can to try to make it. Here's something I have real difficulty with. Just for me exercising my God-given right according to the Constitution shall not be a fringe, a bridge, uh, 
You got it. You had Shall it. not infringed. be a uh, infringed. A bridge should or be. Infringed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should not be. And 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 it goes to this, especially with me getting older. Okay, I, I shouldn't have to uh, defend myself in court as well as out on the street. Yeah. And I don't. I don't. Why is it you're doing nothing about the guns that criminals have? Just the guns that law-abiding citizens have. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you should have a right to a gun more than somebody who is not. Yeah, there's a disparity there. Uh, anything else you're carrying as far as wallet, keys, phone, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, I, you always that's got a phone on you. Yeah, I always have a what phone. What kind of phone do you carry? Apple. What, which one? For now. Apple 11. 11, yeah. I'm considering uh, maybe in the next couple of years doing either a Pixel 6 because I like... I don't like fancy. I just want functional. Yeah. But every all of my friends that have uh, the S21 said, hey, the S20 was like garbage, but the 21, they really got it right. You can watch TV 4K on this phone. <laughs> that ain't bad. That ain't bad at all. So, And you don't hardly get that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All right, Red, what are you carrying today, bud? All right. So um, I'll start off with my left hand and work my way around. Yeah, start so, with, your, with, with your hand, just like he did. Yeah. So uh, I've got <laughs> I've got my wedding ring on here. Mm-hmm. Now I've got uh, Groove Life, one of the silicone rings. Yep, um, it's a nice charcoal gray color with the American flag on there. Uh, I'm wearing through it. Like I've worn this for a long time because silicone rings are good to have for if you do if you do things regularly with your hands to where you run the risk of getting that ring caught. Um, I know, especially I would wear them in the Navy because there's a risk of what they call gloving. And if you don't know what that is, that's where you get the ring caught in some sort of mechanical equipment or something that, that won't give. And that's and a bad day. The thing that will give you is your flesh. So You'll you can actually bone. You, yeah, it's degloving your finger, taking that, taking all of that skin, that muscle, even all sinew, everything off, and you've just left with the skeleton finger. And nobody wants that. That no, is a very no, bad you day. would get more than the skeleton. It, it's going to take everything, including the bone. No. Remember, no, I used to I work. Have, I have, we've There's seen photos. pictures. <laughs> I, I used to work at Ford, where a lot of these guys would have stuff <clears> like <throat> that, and it can pull you in. Oh yeah. And it, with with everything going like this, and you get pulled in. If this is hooking on here, your arm gets in there, then you get pulled in. Now your arm is in danger. Of being and it depends on the machinery. Up. You know, sometimes you know it's smaller machinery, but anytime you're around, you know, working on cars. You, Honestly, even doing firearms and stuff, just the weirdest things happen. You'll catch it on something and well, jack you up. So. Well, working at Ford, because uh, I used to work at Ford, uh, this happened on quite a bit of uh, basis. We had one guy that was a ma- one of the maintenance guys. He bounced. He was supposed to be fixing the uh, robots, and he ended up it did some kind of weird quirk, and it just spazzed on. It was like a power surge, and he went bouncing up and down these. Mm-hmm. It was kind of brutal. He was a super nice guy, and I hate to see it happen to him. So you're going to have to replace that soon, you think? Yeah. So fortunately, they've got, I think they said it was a 96-year warranty on there. I don't know why they went with a weird number. I I think that it actually says in their warranty information. But so if it gets damaged, destroyed, whatever, uh, the first time they'll replace it for free. Uh, Every time after that, they think they charge you for shipping. Okay. Um, or it's like five bucks or something like that. So it's really not. not what bad. a bargain. And they've got all kinds of different designs and patterns and things like that that you can do. So anyway, then uh, I've got my G-Shock watch on. That's a nice OD green. We talked about that. Uh, talked about it a little bit in uh, the last podcast. Yep. Is that a Casio uh, too? 
Yeah, I think yeah, Casio. Casio G-Shock. I did not think that I think both so of us have to have a Casio. We're all wearing Casio. Today. Yeah. You're kidding me, right? No, we'll get no. to it. I'll show you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, then we'll move down. I've got the oh, same light that I always have. My uh, my Phoenix PD thirty five. Yeah, and I should give me one of those. Dude, but I, they're they're nice. But my son ended up. At, I just want to play. And he ended up eating the battery up. And, of course, <laughs> I haven't had the time to go get the battery and refurbish yeah. it, and that's my fault. So I've got a spare 21-round mag for my firearm, and I've got a uh, Bravo Company mag pouch outside the waistband mag Ooh. pouch on there. Yeah. Um, then I've got my uh, Bravo Company outside the waistband holster. For my Sig P320, and I love the P320, dude. I, I think I that's sweet, and I love the color. Yeah. So yeah, explain the color. I've got the uh, I've got the flat dark earth model, and uh, it's got the the factory night sights on there, the Sig night sights. And Sig is nice; they actually give you good metal sights, and unlike yes. Glock, I have they a give question. You those crappy plastic ones. I have a question. The smooth shooting that I hear so much about them. Please explain that. Well, I mean, it's just, it's smooth. I don't know what... Compared to I, a Glock. I think what well, it is... Compared so to, like, a 1911 or something else. So, I don't I I wouldn't say that it's a whole lot smoother than... I think so, what it is, is that it's the felt smoothness of the... Uh, in my opinion, the way SIG designs their slides, they leave more weight in the slide. And so, you, it, for whatever reason, it's the way they designed it. Maybe it's the maybe the recoil spring on it or something. Okay. But it's smoother when it's closing. Not necessarily smoother when it's opening because they're all pretty jerky as they're coming back and you're going to jump off target for a split second. But it's something about how it smoothly engages back into chamber that just makes that follow-up shot a, a hair easier on SIGs. I've always felt like I've shot better with a SIG on, on quick response. You I've know, never shot time. a SIG. I know never? that's sad. Never shot a SIG. Always, I always heard because you had the Beretta. Yeah. You had the Glock, and then you had the SIG. Right. Now, of course, being 50-some years old and closer to 60, you that was the big thing in the 80s, the big battle between those three. Glock, of course, won. At first, everybody thought the Beretta was going to be the bigger one, and it didn't. Glock took off. But the SIG was still content to be, you know, second place. But Are you talking every, about the, the 226? Oh uh, yeah, the two two six was rather was huge. So um, anyway, I forget the uh, company that used to export it before Sig uh, took it on as much and did it on their own. But everybody talked about how smooth the Sig was versus the other two. Yeah, and it's a striker fire just like a Glock. You know, it doesn't yep. have the exposed hammer on the on the P three. Okay, so right. so how is this different from somebody who's never shot it? How is it different? Like I said, I think when you feel it, when you're trying to get, when you're actually, I don't think anybody, if you've never shot before, you're not going to really notice the difference. It's it's kind of like an alcohol. Like it's an acquired taste. You start learning things about it, right? As you start shooting and you're doing a trigger reset follow-up shot, meaning you're only letting the trigger go out as far as it needs to before it hits the reset. I think that's where you feel the smoothness because that slide as it comes back forward and it puts the bullet into the chamber okay. and it chambers and it actually locks the locking pin back so it's ready to fire again. All right. That process is a smoother process than a Glock. Mm. And so you get a you get more of a pronouncement when you go to that trigger reset when you go to pull the trigger again. So I think it just it aids in your response to the trigger reset. Well, and the thing is this the trigger on the P320 is a whole lot better than a stock Glock trigger. I mean, there are Agreed. there are really good aftermarket Glock triggers, but as far as just like getting straight out of the box, 
The P320 is worlds better. Yeah. The reset is better. The brake is better. The take-up is better. It's just it's an all-around better trigger. Well, this and is what I heard for the last 30, 35 years is that Glock, I mean, that these so were here, I'm triple passing it off much. to them. Yep, it's been. So they're that much better than, you know, and I've always wondered, someday we should definitely take all of them out and start shooting them yeah. and compare them and say, okay, well, what do we think? We should, hey, that sounds like a, Something we can talk about. While you're while you're playing with the SIG, anything else you're carrying today? Yeah, so I've got my my good old ZT. ZT. Never going to get rid of that. No, that's going to carry all the time. Who makes yeah. this? Is that zero SOG? tolerance? Yeah, zero tolerance. They're, that's the it's the the better line of Kershaw. Oh, it's kind of their eliteness. Yeah, and then I've got my my good old Phantom Wallet. And one of the things we didn't talk about with the Phantom Wallet uh, last time was that. It's got a little lever. That what do they call a Phantom it? Wallet? I mean, because that's the brand that makes it. Oh. Okay. So, as I was saying before I was interrupted, it's got a letter. It's got a lever that you pull, and it fans out all of the cards that you've got inside of it. So unlike what a lot of minimalist wallets do, is just you've got to try to dig through and pry it out. You're able to, to nicely fan those out so I can go for exactly for the card that I want to get. So it makes things a lot simpler. I'm not sure how they're doing that, but it's a pretty cool little feature. Yeah. That's, well, that's we'll take it apart. And I'll show it to you sometime. Yeah. And then uh, the challenge coin of the day is Naval Support Activity Bahrain. Ooh. So I was over there in Bahrain um, Plenty of, in uh, 2012. It's a lot of gold no, in there. 2011. I was that's over there awesome. in 2011. And uh, we just kind of pulled through. I stopped there uh, while I was on my way to fly out to meet the Enterprise. And... Now, Bahrain is exactly where? Bahrain is over in the Middle East. So Bahrain is actually, it's in the Persian Gulf. It's kind of like okay. a little island. Little um, island nation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so here, let me bring it up on my phone here, and I'll show you. Well, this is really, the, the coin's awesome. On the back side of it, I think it's part of the wow. Bahrainian flag. And then uh, it's got a camel and then the shape of the country on it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Well, that's Qatar. Well, Qatar's next to it, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, that and then you nice. carry, what do you carry as far as a phone? Oh, well, I've got the iPhone X. It's been giving me a lot of problems. I think I'm going to have to get rid of it soon. Um, <laughs> Are you going to convert to Android? No, no, because I've got, uh, I've gotten used to the iPhone. Yeah. And I like the fact that it can hook up to my, uh, my Mac that I've got and able to share files through there, share passwords and stuff. And then on top of that, uh, being able to use FaceTime and things like because my wife has the iPhone. So those, those are just some conveniences that even though there were things that frustrated me about the iPhone at first, mm -hmm. I've gotten used to some of those convenience things and I'll probably stick with it. I don't want to admit this because some, somebody's going to take it wrong, but I did notice your belt today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't staring at your crotch, so, but I noticed you had a different belt on today than normal. Yeah. So I've got, uh, this is relatively new. It's uh, also made by um, Groove Life, which okay. is the same company that does the rings. So this is Groove Life belt, and it's it's kind of nice. Um, here, I'm going to go off mic a little bit. but Ooh. So it's got these little hooks, and it's magnetic, so it hooks up. Okay, nice that's magnetic. sweet. I like so that. So it's, it's a web belt, well, so it's, it's got some it's elasticity. It's actually an elastic web belt. Okay. So you can see it moves a little yeah. bit with me. Yeah, it's we're not small guys, lot. so that that's... That looks sexy. Well, it's got a whole lot of adjustability <laughs> to it. Okay. So, yeah, but if you gain five extra pounds, which I've done in a meal, 
<laughs> that that right there seems fascinating. Yeah, so I've been giving it a shot. Um, I it's possible that I just had it a little bit too loose. I tightened it up the other day, but I was noticing that I was always moving around at work. I was having it kind of fall down on me, and I okay. work in a lot of engineering spaces, climbing up ladders and doing stuff, doing inspections, a lot of bending, climbing over that. Type yeah, of thing. yeah. So that puts a little bit more strain on a belt than somebody who just just walking around or sitting on a desk or something. Yeah, um, not trying to do all those move maneuvering that I have to go through. So it might work better for some of those people. And again, it might be that I just had it too loose, so I tightened it up. We'll see how it goes, but it seems to be it's. It's not a flimsy little piece of elastic. I mean, it holds my gun up. Yeah. So, no, it's well. That's uh, what counts. Yeah. No, and I actually heard about it. Um, a YouTube guy uh, named his channel is called Tactical Considerations, and he's a police officer who uh, does a lot of reviews on gear and stuff. And they sent one out to him, and he was talking about it. And of course, he was. It's it's not a perfect belt by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't know that that exists. So no, it's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty convenient. Um, getting on and off is really easy. So, I mean, I, I like it so far. Well, so. the product should, uh, I don't, I don't ask for a product to be perfect. I ask for the product to work. Yeah. Or at least hold up to what they claim. Right. Yes. <laughs> for, and the least part. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with my, my hand is completely empty. I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. But I would um, say for no. you it was an upgrade. <laughs> and we were, we're actually we're we're talking in jest, but I don't wear a ring anymore. Uh, no, you, not married, so <laughs> you were actually you said something. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, it was we were all hanging out, and I was gonna make a joke about your wife, but ex-wife. But your girls were there, and I'm not going to insult their mother in front. Yeah, and, and honestly, yeah, I'm not do there's that. not anything to really insult. She's got her life, and she's she's a good woman. I'm glad that she's the mother of my kids. But hey, there's there's a reason why divorces happen. So, um, but so I've got on my left wrist, I've got my Apple Watch. Um, it's a Series Three Nike band. It's it's super. Like I wear this in the pool all the time. I was at the pool with the kids yesterday, swimming around, knocking on stuff. I, I beat the crap out of this thing. How has that never so failed me? Durable. I was playing sand volleyball last week, and I had sand caked in there where I couldn't even turn the crown. I literally just ran underwater for about a minute and just kept spinning the crown, and then it washed itself out, and it was fine. So I was like, I was actually thinking I was going to have to tear it down and look at it, but it was it worked out. So I've got no nothing but, nothing but love for that Apple Watch because all the notifications I'm able to get and I'm able to you know mess with the every day. Like right now, you can see the face that's on it. I can change the faces just at random. And that's one of the best things about it is just like you just get all kinds of different looks depending on what outfit you're wearing. Almost makes you think like you're wearing something, you know, a new watch every day. That's pretty not. cool. Yeah. That is cool. So uh, then on my right wrist, I'm a freaking idiot, and I wear two watches. But I especially wanted to wear this one. You Last were definitely time I was, not an idiot. Well, <laughs> some people were like, oh, you don't need to wear two watches. I was like, well. Hey, I used to wear a watch on one hand and a Fitbit on the other. So I've, I've found two myself. Two different purposes. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like this is, tra- you know, Apple Watch is tracking my health. It's tracking, you know, my phone messages, stuff like that. But it's got a battery that dies, and it, it can't recharge itself, Bad right? Bolt. And when I'm driving, like, sometimes I'll drive down and, and visit family when I'm coming down to see you, Grizzly, uh, and I'll be like, oh, man, I didn't bring my, my there's a very specific charger that the Apple Watch takes, and it only comes with one, and I don't have one in my truck. I don't have one at my friend's houses because not everybody has them, you know, so I'm like, 
I always end up having a dead battery on my watch by day two. So I carry this other watch so that I've always got something to, you know, reference. Now this one I actually just picked up. It just came in the mail literally two days ago. So I'm just getting used to it. Nice. But it's a Casio Pro Trek uh, six PGW 6600 series. That's a long name. It is. But essentially to kind of give you an idea of, of what it is, it's got, you know, your regular clock face hands and, and movements. Uh, but then it's got a digital face behind it. It shows it has a readout display on, on a small liquid crystal display. But this thing has a lot of cool features. It's got a barometer, an altimeter. It has um, it can you can it's actually an atomic watch, so it automatically sets its own time. You don't have to do anything with it. And what uh-huh. you yeah you don't have to set explain the time. that it always has the time. It is, there's an atomic clock that you can pick signal up for anywhere in the world. And you just tell it what zone you're in, and it'll automatically change it. So if you look around the bezel, it has the listing of the cities. And it'll have, so like starting on the far left, LAX, Denver, Chicago, New York. And then it goes through all the rest of them as you go all the way around the globe. And so you actually just spin the big dial off that's on the right side of the watch. And you set it to whatever city you're in. You click it back in, and it automatically moves the hands for you to whatever that time is, that time zone. if I happen to be in Houston, Mm -hmm. you just pick Chicago, correct? Right. So if I happen to be you, in Florida. If you're, if you're on a trip and you're going, you know, going back west or something like that. Yeah, Virginia. Denver, LAX, you know, like you just, mm. you get to pick whatever city you want and pop it to it. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it also has some tracking features. So if you're navigating with it, it actually has a compass built in. And so, and you'll see, I'll just hit the little button. I'll just go whoop, like that. And that little thing is going to find north. And then, okay, so it uses the second hand to show you what direction north is. And even as you move... So you can position your watch in different ways, and it'll always put that second hand to north. Okay, so in case our, one of our people that are listening was, hey, I'd like to buy that. Yeah. Where would they get it, and how much so would it cost them? I got it on Amazon, and I, I'd have to look up the price again. We may leave a link or something like that if somebody's interested in it. Right. Um, but I think it was around the around the $300 mark. It's not Ooh. a cheap watch. But these things are rated for, this is basically, as close as you can get to a dive watch, is rated for 100 meters. So you can that's that's a, you can't do deep diving, but anything I've ever isn't that done three hundred feet. Yeah, anything I've ever done, it's gonna handle just fine. <laughs> so I'm I'm not I'm not uh, you know scuba diver or anything. So well, Aquaman couldn't wear this. No, but um, so anyways, that's it's it's one of my favorite features, and it reads out and tells you exactly what you know what's what's going on there. But the barometer is kind of nice because you can actually see when a storm's coming in because it'll your pressure drops, your barometric pressure drops when a storm front's coming. Right. And so you go, oh. Maybe it is really about to rain, or are the clouds just building like normal? So that low-pressure system is always what builds storms. Then you got your altimeter, so I can actually tell exactly the elevation that I'm at. You know, And I've been in several places and checked, and it's, Colorado. Actually, been, it's actually been accurate. So that's been kind of cool. And then it's got um, oh, a ton of other things. I'm going to get off of that. The watch is awesome. Love it. Um, moving on to what else I carry. I've got my keys for the truck, obviously. Um, I carry at least one knife on me all the time. Um, sometimes I carry two, but today I've got my Kershaw. Um, I put a Sweet. new, yeah, it's a, it's an assisted opening folding bladed knife, but I just recently put a new edge on it cause I got a new sharpener and went through my entire knife collection, which took me a better part of two days <laughs> to get everything reprofiled. Um, <clears throat> and so I carry that on my right side and then in my right pocket, I carry my Diamondback 380. Oh, that looks yeah, familiar. Yeah, you've seen this before. <laughs> but looks uh, familiar. Yeah, that, I, I absolutely love that gun. It just goes with me everywhere. I mean, even when I'm just, you know, running running from here to there in town, I, it goes everywhere. Uh, I'm carrying an Olight. It's the Olight S2R. 
Is that the same one from last time? It is, yep. And I'm super happy with it. I'm the only one that doesn't have a light. That's saying, huh? It's okay. Yeah. We'll get you there. This yeah. is this is what we call EDC envy. It'll it'll help you grow. Um, but it has really low settings. You can go through three different main light settings. Then you go to a turbo mode. So where I work, that would really be oh, yeah. helpful, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And then we've had the power go out a couple of times. Yep. And just having something small in your pocket. And this is rechargeable. It's wireless rechargeable. So it has a little stand that you just go plop, and it just and it just pops a little thing on okay. the back. For our people. It plugs uh, into USB. How much of that? Uh, this, this, I think, will ran uh, just right at 100 bucks. I think, for this one. It's 1,150 lumens on its max setting. That's pretty, which is that's like really bright. Yeah, for a tiny little light, it it absolutely lights up the room, and then and it's rechargeable. And watch this, it's even got strobe pattern, <laughs> which will jack you up too. But I mean, it's not ultimately it, to me. It's just the rechargeability, the fact that it's small enough that it really fits in my pocket well. Yeah, but I don't have to mess with the batteries. Yeah, and then it's magnetic on the back. You can actually stick it up to like the hood of your car while you're working on the car if you get broken down. Uh, it also has a hat clip and a reverse hat clip. So that you can always have it like pointing whatever direction you need it to, you know, you can set it on different things. You can kind of see there on that clip, it's, it goes both ways. So that's kind of cool. Um, I carry my keys for the truck. And then, of course, my phone, it's always got my wallet on the back with that Apple wallet. I still think that's like the, the best wallet solution I've had. So anyways, that's just a, a rundown of the EDC stuff real quick. Um, and then really the meat and potatoes of this podcast was going to be just us kind of going off about a few things. So one of the things that came up, that, that I've been interested in exactly. <laughs> Grizzly's doing the uh, little fingers in the in the sky thing. We're talking about aliens. There's been a whole lot of videos been dropping lately. Very recently. Coming um, from the government. Yes. Not yeah. random sources. And showing all sorts of different unidentified flying objects. And they're not calling them alien. They're just saying we, we don't know legitimately what they are. don't know what this is. So <laughs> as somebody who did this uh, as a child, okay, uh, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, okay? And UFOs were more of a fringe element at the time, okay? Now, one of the first cases I remember, it was, I think, in the 40s, where this doctor said he was riding his plane because he was money. He had money, so not everybody could have a plane in the 40s. If you're rich and you're a doctor, you could do that. He says something flew by him. Uh, several now when everybody can go out and just buy a plane. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, they couldn't do it back then. So he, he sees these, uh, I think, uh, several metallic objects, uh, seven or eight of them, and they're flying like in military formation. Now, if you see, uh, to get something speed, all you need to do is know the distance between, like say, uh, between two mountaintops, and then the time it takes for it to go from one point to the other, and you can clock its speed. He said those things were going 17,000 miles an hour. Jeez. And that doesn't even seem possible, right? Yeah, it doesn't. And But they started getting video of this from F-18s, and I, I think there's maybe some other ships that have intercepted maybe a F-15 video Nimitz. that's out there. That's the famous one well, in the 2004. The, yeah, the, the Nimitz was in 2004. And boy, you talking about soldiers being freaked out. And I can understand. They also had one where it was went under the ocean, and they said it was going over 100 uh, knots. That was the most recent one. What it was is it how was many, a, how, how fast is 100 knots? Well, there's a destroyer. And it's out on the ocean, and it's sent to that area because of some unusual activity on radar. Okay. They pick an object up on two different radar systems that are on the boat. 
they put an optical sensor on it, which they had an optical and they had a, um, uh, I believe it was an infrared is the video that they released. Right. And the infrared sensor is picking up the, the, it's tracking the object. It's trying to track it at first. It's struggling, but it finally locks onto it and it's tracking it. And they have it going a hundred knots, which I think the conversion to that is maybe, um, 120 ish miles an hour. So it's not super fast. But what's freaky Underwater, about it? Underwater, that's fast. Well, what's freaky about it is it goes straight from flying along at a, at a you know very low altitude, under fifty feet, out of the water. No, and it, and it just goes and it just takes an arcing you know line to the to the ocean, and they're like, oh, it splashed, it splashed, but there's no debris. They went and investigated the spot where it crashed, where they thought it crashed. There was absolutely no debris. It looked like it just entered so it the just water. So it just banked and just said, "I'm leaving." Bye. Yeah, it just said, "I'm going into the water." Boom. So it makes you wonder. Because I had this discussion with my wife, and we were like, you know, I wonder what these, because we don't know if these aliens are like Kryptonians. Uh, they got strength like Captain America or Asgardians. We don't know. I think that what's really out there, these people have super technology we simply don't have. And they can, uh, they can, you know, appear and disappear. That's the one constant I'm starting to see. Now, they call that uh, the Tic Tac. Okay, because when they put it on infrared, there's no plume of smoke coming from it. There are no wings. How's this thing flying? Well, by plume of smoke, you're talking about like there's no sign of a, a standard propulsion. propulsion system that we have. Nothing. It's putting hot, fast gases out the back end. It, there, there's moving, nothing right? there. Yeah. And so, and I'm like, I don't know what technology this is, but whatever it is, we can't keep up with it. Well, you know what it reminded me of immediately when you started talking about that again earlier? Star I was Trek. like, oh, yeah, no, this is something I was, I was. I've been putting these pieces together in my head for a while because I was following the Bob Lazar thing for years. I mean, I think the first video I saw about it was, it was the me. well, it was the original interviews and when he was talking with George Knapp in Las Vegas about his experience. Uh, so, give you some background. Bob Lazar is a guy that claims to have worked for Los Alamos um, reverse engineering facility, if you will, uh, and in a place that's a subset of Area Fifty One called S Four. S4, what he says S4 is used for is reverse engineering of alien technology. Right. So he comes out and he's super nervous about it, but he feels like he needs to say something to somebody. And he knows that George Knapp has been taking on some weird cases. And this is back in the early 80s, right? Do you remember what year? I'd say mid-80s. Mid-80s, like 86 Because 86, 87, I think, is when he... And here's the sad part about it. He came out with all this, and they're like, ah, he's a hack. Don't well, take him Well, George serious. Knapp thought he was a hack and investigated it for almost a year before he released the videos. Because okay. he's like, I'm, I'm going to make sure that this Bob Lazar actually knows what he's talking about and that he was actually an employee there. He was. So he starts doing research on it, and they're like, oh, no, we have no... The, the, he doesn't exist. He's they're never gonna, been an employee. They're not here. ever going to admit that. Right. So they say he never worked there. Then he's like, well, I need to go check Bob Lazar's credentials. He says that he went to MIT. He says that he went to some really good colleges. I'm going to go find out. He's not on the rolls. They're like, what is going on? He seems very legit. He, he's a quirky guy. Um, and he goes into his, his background story. He, he was known as the rocket man because he put a jet engine on his car and would drive a jet engine car to work every day. And people thought he was super eccentric. And so they had actually put a, a, that is super eccentric. Yeah. Well, they they published an article about him in the early eight or late seventies, early eighties. And they're like, yeah, this guy's weird. And this is the guy you're hearing rumbling down the street, going to work every day. And they published this article in the newspaper and he's going to a meeting uh, at the local college. They're having a presentation put on by a guy who's into propulsion and this uh, for uh, weapon development. 
And this is kind of the field that he wanted to be in. He wanted to get back into the science field. He wanted to get back into the weapon development field. So as he's walking in, he's taking, going around the side of the building and he sees the presenter reading the newspaper. And he stops by, he's like, oh, uh, you know, I want to introduce myself. My name is Bob Lazar. And the article there on that newspaper there that you may have read, that's actually about me talking about the car. The guy's like, really? And so it's just kind of a coincidence. They talk for a minute about a few things. The guy goes on and presents his stuff. And he doesn't think two things about it. He comes back to it a couple of years later. And he's like, wait, this may be the only contact I have with somebody in the industry. Maybe I'll reach out to him. He'll remember me because of that article, right? Mm-hmm. So he reaches out to this guy and he's like, hey, uh, you remember me? You think maybe you could help me out? This guy gets him the job at Los Alamos Labs and gets him started in this whole field. So what he claims is that when mm. he's there, this is where it comes into what we're seeing, these these Tic Tacs is what we're calling them, these right. new UFOs. What he claims is when he was working at Los Alamos and he was going to Area S4 inside of Area 51, he was reverse engineering alien technology that was dug up, that there were eight or 12 uh, spaceships that were buried in the desert and that they had dug them up. They had found eight different sites, eight different you know locations where these had been. And they found that they were, that their propulsion systems were still intact because when they pulled them out, they started operating. They came back to life a little bit and they're like, Oh, something's going on. And where was this at that they found? These? He doesn't know where they were collected. That was just the background he was given. I've never heard of that. And he said, he Interesting. said, and he even tells Joe Rogan, he's like, legit, this may be complete BS. The government could be lying to me just to make me sound crazy. So this is just the story I was given. It doesn't mean it's the truth, but this is what I was given. And so he was told that they, they dug these you know devices up, and they were trying to – his specific job was to take something that he was calling in 1986. He's calling this element 115, mm-hmm. okay? And at the time, if you look at the periodic tables and you watch it change over time, we find that there's new elements and we add them to the periodic table as we can confirm they're there. The the chemists back then were saying that it theoretically well, could been exist. Added to the periodic table as they've been synthesized. Correct. That's one. Yeah. You, good point. Is they have to prove that it exists before they, and they put it on. Quietly the list. put it on. There. Well, and they what happened was they said it doesn't exist. It's not on the periodic table. Just a shame. Him. It is a mathematical probability, meaning hmm. that element one fifteen could exist, but we have no evidence of it. Yeah. And at some point, I'm not sure what year, but it was well after Bob Lazar talked about this. This is in the 2000s. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It was at least in the 2000s. They finally added it and said, okay, this is a legitimate thing. Without giving him any credit. Well, and the other part of it is they still won't say if they have it. Hmm. They won't talk about if we actually have a, a sample of 115. Now, why is element 115 important? Because this entire spaceship that they dug up reportedly runs off of it. And it is an anti-gravity molecule. And so what happened is there's another video that leaked that is that everybody's been pointing out and saying it was Bob Lazar that showed a, a vacuum chamber that they use for testing in labs. Okay. And they have a smoke that's going in there, just like a small smoke that they're pushing in there. So you can see it moving around. Okay. And it's moving over something that's in there. There's a small speck of something inside of this inside of this vacuum test tube. Okay. And that smoke rolls over the top of it, and then they shine a flashlight in. When the flashlight gets shined in, it bends the light around element 115 and puts it out the other side, and you can see it bend the light. There's only one other time I've seen that uh, in science fiction, and that's with the cloaking predator. What'd you find, Red? So, um, 
Element 115 on the periodic table of elements is called moscovium. It is a synthetic chemical element uh, with the chemical symbol MC and the atomic number of 115. Highly unstable. It was first synthesized in 2003 by Mm. a joint team of Russian and American scientists at the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research in Dubna, Dubna, Russia. Oh, okay. So... So they, they were able to synthesize it. From what I understand, anytime they've had it, though, it's extremely unstable in the lab environment. But so when we've light, well, you realize how hard that is. Well, what? It, yeah, that's kind of this gets to why it's unstable because they've not been able to stabilize it the way this alien technology did. And by alien, I'm saying we just don't understand it. Alien, not like it's alien life forms. We don't know what. We don't have anything like that I know of that's like that here. Right. We haven't, but we haven't been able to get element one fifteen into stable. Uh, synthesized object and get it into get it to form into something that we okay. can use. Let, let's say well, let's well say here's yeah. here's what he claims happens with element one fifteen. Okay? okay, it's sitting in it basically like a jar or canister or something on the on the ship, and then as the pilot connects with it through a neural network like thing that's on the head, it's detecting like the technology was using the human brain neural network control it to control it. So you basically kind of use your thoughts to control this thing supposedly. It does sound like Stargate. But it would open up the container and expose this element 115, and that would create an anti-gravity field and allow it to move through time and space without any anything acting upon it, including air, light, gravity. And when you send Ben, uh, explain more of that in detail. This- so what's happening, so you have gravity, right? There's a positive force in, in the universe called gravity, and what it is is a bending of time and space. An like object, a stargate or a wormhole. Right. The, the object's big enough, like Earth, creates enough of a of a compression of time and space that things are drawn to it, that they fall towards it. That's why we have a moon in orbit. That's also why we orbit the sun. That's why the sun orbits the Milky Way galaxy. That's why the Milky Don't Way Don't we galaxy. have a magnetic field around the planet? Yeah, but the magnetic field has nothing to do with the force of gravity, right? So, But it's we, more of a shield between, like, gamma rays and cosmic rays? Correct. We Yeah, our magnetic field rays. protects us from all sorts of harmful radiation from outside the atmosphere. But magnetism does that. Yes, isn't That's that crazy? Interesting. Creates an ionosphere, it? and that ionosphere is what we see as the northern lights. It's basically electrical charges within the ionosphere. That, so, magneto has a new power, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, what element one fifteen is is the opposite of gravity. It is anti gravity. Now, theoretical physics shows us that that is possible. That if you have, you know, obviously, if you have a positive, you have a negative. Kind of like a positive neutron, negative neutron. You call it, you know, protons, electrons, neutrons. And the point is. Element 115 is supposed to be an anti-gravity creating element. We haven't been able to stabilize it, but this technology that's alien to us did, and these ships were moving, and that's why when we have these videos of these Tic Tacs, they're small, single, maybe even two-man, three-man, you know, crewed ships. They're able to move without the person inside having it being ripped apart. Because as you know... They're saying these things are like 50 feet across. Well, and our pilots that are following them in supersonic jets... Right, can't keep up. They with can't. Them. Number one, they can't keep up with them. They can't turn like them either. That's part of the problem. Is that if they try to bank and yank, you can pull a human can pull you know eight to nine G's max for five to ten seconds, something like that. And pilot, maybe pilots can do a little bit better than that in the military with you know compression pants and some other stuff. But you they know. can't act like they're a fly but and they can't, just turn on a dime. Right, and they can't really do you know more than twelve G's for more than a moment. Yeah, but and these, these things, the rate at which they're turning, these tic-tac objects... Is unlike anything we know well, of. Well, it, the G-force that would be felt by the person inside would be would kill a human being. 
it'd be like it'd be like running into a brick wall unless because of the change. Unless you're not being affected by gravity. Mm. Because you move through time and space, you have no effect on there's no effect of gravity because you are in an anti gravity vessel. Now, what's also interesting is that there's warp drive technology that has been well, that discussed. would have to be that would have to affect more than just gravity. That would have to affect inertia itself. It doesn't. Inertia is is a just a response to gravity. Yeah, like the shotgun. Yeah, if you're outside, I'm gonna have to look at that because that's if you're outside of the, the the purview of gravity, meaning you're not affected by it, then it, you don't have no inertia. There is zero inertia. Inertia is a response to an action or action reaction, correct? Inertia is saying I'm like if I'm an object that's not in motion then I don't want to move. If I'm an object in motion, I don't want to stop being in that direct motion. I want to stay on a... <laughs> this goes back to like uh, physics class. If you're looking at what what exactly is inertia, inertia is this constant, right? You, okay. you, you throw a baseball, and if gravity wasn't there, it didn't exist, and you throw this baseball, the baseball, going. as long as it's not being affected by light, wind, or anything else, it'll continue going the speed that it was at on the trajectory that it was on. And so that is its that is the only way it's ever going to go. Isn't that why the Voyagers keep going? Exactly. That's why they're keep. Well, they still are being affected by gravity, but they're still going because we've you know there's we nothing them, to stop it. Correct. Well, we got them into deep space now, so they're not being jacked with by tidal. Well, they're outside. But here's the thing: if so that that violates um, Newton's second law. Correct. But so. we also know that all of <laughs> completely all of quantum physics is outside of Newtonian physics. Period. And it's the only way that we can quantify gravity is through non-Newtonian physics, quantum physics. Well, uh, there's something I want you to make you all aware of. You've heard of the Philadelphia experiment, right? Which one's that? In the 40s. They wanted to make this destroyer disappear. Mm -hmm. So you want to bend light. Right. Instead, they said it went back in time. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. light, what is light? It's the constant. Yeah, it is but, a massless object, a photon, so, and it's moving through time and space. So and what did we accidentally unaffected. fix? Or, and another thing is this, we don't know, uh, from what I understand, and, and, and you got to take this with a grain of salt, they're saying, these ufologists or ancient astronaut theorists are saying, there are anywhere from 50 to 60 different races that have been here or are here on this planet right now. Right. If you go back and look at the biological record of human beings, there's... Wide variances. And I'm not going to hypothesize too far and make wild claims, but I'm going to say this would answer a lot of things. Like, so this, I've always had this fascination with this idea once I heard it, was really who is the alien here, okay? I think we are the alien. We're the only thing like us on this planet, correct? There's Mm. nothing else that's super close. Well, um, supposedly apes, but apes are significantly different than us. It's it's our level of consciousness that makes us so different. Well, but here's the thing. Um, (sighs) Well, so here's where I'm going with it. We're very unique on this planet. We are the the apex uh, uh, species. We're the dominant species. Correct. And if you think about it, are we not just on a biological spaceship flying through time? Yes and no. Oh, we're, we're on a globe, and this globe has a very specific environment that allows us to walk around and do things that we would normally, if we were in space, not be able to do. Just like when we're on a spaceship, we're in a very small, confined area. We don't have gravity, so our bodies aren't able to maintain muscle mass. Um, we have very limited resources, so once we run out, we're done. But we're on a regenerative you know, planet 
that's got a specific amount of gravity that's allowed us to grow and allowed us to stay strong, allowed us as species to develop. We had this huge jump in the brain size of our humanoid ancestors that happened how many thousand? I think it was I think it was like twenty four thousand years what ago. I to say. There's this major jump in, mm. in how much brain power we have. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. And this was recently. They found eight anatomically correct humans. Mm-hmm. 315,000 years old. Holy smoke. Where in was Morocco. this at? Morocco in the mountains? Where most of them look kind of like I do. Okay. So so Eight. that predates a whole lot of the... Yes, it does. So the Bible, if I'm correct, is 250,000 years. So there are people that were here. So here's the no, thing. No, it's, it's less than that. Yeah, the Bible's less than okay, that. Okay, so here's my, what I'm saying is this. Now, I remember asking my, my, my great-grandmother, who I think is the greatest woman that ever existed. I love her. I asked her, and I would ask her anything because I didn't care. I was like, I wanted to know. Uh, you know where did God come from, Grandma? She said, he's always been. Oh, right. Okay. So if I asked her anything else, where did this come from, she would give me an answer. Yeah. He, I says, well, Grandma, where did Cain go? He, he went to the land of Nod. Okay, he had a wife. Uh, I thought there were only two hum, four humans on the planet. Yeah. There's nothing saying. Now, if you take a picture of... One, one of the voyagers took a picture of the uh, solar system. And you know what they found? You see a little bright dot. Blue dot. Now, with our... Uh, What's the blue uh, dot? Caveman Earth. Yeah. When you're okay, back so it, uh, as somebody who's much more advanced than us that has, like, Star Trek, Did they, well, a federation me, of planets, they're going to see that planet. You know why? Two things that they're going to value. Let me, let me point this back to us again. We are seeing these other planets right now. Scientists currently have identified over twenty five hundred, over twenty five hundred potential Earths out there, over four what four thousand okay. planets and the exo uh, exoplanets. Right, exoplanets means exoplanet that, means outside of the uh, solar system and solar Goldilocks. Are, yeah, and and what these are, what they're doing is they're doing spectrometry. They're looking at the light that's going through the atmosphere. And then they're reading that out, and they're and a lot of this they're actually finding as these planets are going in front of their sun, in front of you know whatever their central star is, okay. and there's these little pulses in that starlight, and so they're like, oh, they figured out like in the late '90s or whatever for sure that that is actually planets flying in front of those those you know stars. Yeah, that's how they find and it because so, you see a dot, right? And they start doing a spectrometry of okay, what's coming back? What light are we getting? And what's being restricted from us seeing? What's being restricted? What's being absorbed? Right, so it tells you the color of that planet. It tells you a lot about the atmosphere, and so they're able to tell if it's got a hydrogenous atmosphere, you know, hydrogen-based atmosphere. And they, like you said, they've identified four thousand is what your number is. I've heard at least twenty five hundred over four thousand. Right, that we've identified that are like that's just potential our galaxy. Right, and that's outside our galaxy. You have there are four hundred billion stars plus. In our galaxy, you have more than 400 billion galaxies outside our known universe. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess my, my point with it is that I think that we, there's very much the possibility in my head that these, we find these buried spaceships. What are we doing right now? We are building spaceships, the Starship program with SpaceX to send people to Mars to try to colonize other planets and to send us out, and, and because we know that we can't stay here forever. Here's what I personally we have, think. We have the end of resources eventually coming with I, this, this I, planet. I personally think that the uh, something like a Stargate has been around for decades, and that if people wanted to leave, they could leave so 
easily. Yeah. But they do this searching for other planets in case they're, we don't know if we're going to be attacked by, because whoever has this other technology where they can fly everywhere real fast, if they decided they wanted Earth, we can't stop them. We're back from break. Now, this would not be the for sake of argument podcast if we didn't get some pushback on our ideas, right? Right. So we took a little break and I realized we have somebody that can give us some pushback. Red, <laughs> you were awfully quiet there in the first part. You jumped in in a couple little spots, but you let us go on our little fantastical journey through time and space and uh, and have our little fun Literally. ideas of, of aliens, of... Um, time travel of that sort of thing. So tell us where you stand because I'm open to literally almost anything. And it sounds like you're a little more closed off to the fantasy fold. You, you want, you want facts and I do. I'm, I'm very much a factually based kind of guy. Um, you're talking about this, the theoretical properties of, uh, Moscovium or element 115. Right. And the thing is to me, unless I'm able to see some, hard documentation of these properties or have someone explain to me the physics behind why these property, why this element would theoretically work that way. I'm very skeptical. And you know, there's been, there are, there are so many different people that come out and say different things. I had a conspiracies class when I was in college Mm -hmm. and the professor was very much trying to teach it from the aspect of, you know, there are like conspiracy theories. There are things that roads that people go down and sometimes things are right and sometimes things are wrong. And then there, there are sometimes where you can see how conclusions are made and sometimes where things are just really just out of left field. And so I'm, I remember one particular night I was doing the typical college all-nighter trying to finish up a paper the night before it was due. And I was up way too late and I was on some site that was talking about basically lizard people and how, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, these lizard aliens are were, running the nation. And well, not, not just that, but they were all talking about the, yes, that was definitely an aspect of it, but, um, they were talking about how they didn't have the DNA. They couldn't replicate their own DNA. And so they were using us to help replicate their DNA and all of this stuff. And I have been up so long at this point that it's starting to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, it was something that, like, I, it eventually just kind of hit me. I'm like, I need to go to bed. I, You know what? I know that this paper's due tomorrow. I will get up early. I will maybe skip a class or something. I will get this done. But I need to go to bed because this should not be making sense. And sure enough, when I came back and looked at it with a clear head, like, it was atrocious. And just the amount of errors and inaccuracies that were in there. So... There, there's that was the thing that really kind of cemented me. Okay, you've got to be skeptical about anything that you hear that is really over the top. Mm-hmm. And I've always, it's not that I don't believe aliens exist, because I mean, you, you look at just the statistical probability, the number of stars that there are out there, the number of planets that there are out there. I mean, the the amount of the universe that we don't even know, that we can't even see, is there's just it's such a high likelihood that yes, there is some sort of alien life out there. Now then there was the question of, okay, well, is it sentient alien life? Is it intelligent alien life? 
okay, maybe. I don't know. It's it's possible. I'm I'm a Christian. I believe that God created the entire universe. If he just wanted to create sentient life on only one planet, okay, that's his prerogative. If he did want to create sentient life on another planet, okay, that's also his prerogative. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to. I never really had the belief in we've been visited by aliens. I, I always felt like, well, if there's if there are other sentient beings out there, they were probably made around the same time as us, and they're probably about the same, like, probably about as far along. And there are, I mean, you can look throughout history about how we've had d- different times, different societies that were f- much further advanced than other societies here on our own planet. Right. So, I mean, even if they were made at the same time, that's still there still exists a possibility that they could be light years ahead of us in technology just because of maybe the way that they cooperated or they had certain uh, intellectuals, like brilliant minds that were able to develop things or had people, the right people listen to them. I mean, honestly, if we would have had more people pay attention to Nikola Tesla, I mean, if, or if people would have better funded some of his stuff later on in life, I mean, we could have had some pretty incredible advancements based off of the notes and the things that he's claimed to have invented and claimed to have, have uh, discovered. Um, so, and how many other people out there like that? I mean, we there are stories of, uh, gosh, now I cannot remember his name, but he was a famous Greek mathematician. Um, Archimedes, I think. I think it's Archimedes. But they talked about how they, he theoretically had a whole bunch of uh, weapon systems that he developed during ancient Greece that, like, he had, I, I want to say it was, they, they talk about it like it was a laser that he was able to burn down a ships from a lighthouse. Light. Yeah, that I didn't, essentially. I've never heard of. Well, th- I mean, there's things like obelisks were supposedly directing light at things. Like, that's been an, an idea of being using them as a weapon of some sort. I mean, and the All thing you need is, is a magnifying glass and a source of heat a Fresnel to lens. magnify through it. I mean, same principle, yeah. essentially, is the kid with the magnifying glass burning the ants. Yeah. I mean, that, that's theoretically how it would work. But... So the, the idea is, yes, it's, it's possible that even if they were developed around the same time as us, they could be light years ahead of us in, in technology. Um, it was just something I was always incredibly skeptical about. Now, with so many different sources coming out now, that from the military and the government coming out and saying, hey, no, we've encountered these things, it's kind of tearing at my walls a little bit, and I can't say it's exactly a comfortable place, but at the same time, if there's... When there's overwhelming evidence, you know, have to be open to it. But at this, well, no, with overwhelming evidence, you have to be open to it. Right. But fantastic claims require fantastic proof. Exactly. And that's where I, that's where I stand. So the thing is, is all that this, you guys talking about all of the, the theoretics of it. Yeah. (laughs) They'd kind of, well, let's pull it back to some facts that, that, um, are, are, Really interesting. Well, so, speaking of facts, I want to say that uh, mm-hmm. from the moment that I said it, when I said Newton's second law, I felt like, well, no, that's not that's <laughs> not right. I don't think that's right. I went back and looked at it. Nope, it was Newton's first law. Inertia revolves around Newton's first law. Okay. Just wanted to throw out that correction real quick. Very nice. See, we, we do correct. We were talking about that last time on the last podcast. It's like, yeah, it may be late, but we'll get there. We'll get the corrections yeah. made. But um, so I actually kind of want to take it back to the start of modern UFO alien uh, hyperbole. That would be the forties. That's right. The first Ro- incident the was incident. Thomas. No. Well, no. no. I'm I'm specifically want to talk about the Roswell incident, but you give it some lead up because Grizzly's got some history with this. 1941, and a lot of people I didn't know about this until about six months ago, in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, uh, a preacher got woke up about four or five in the morning, 
and said, hey, why don't you do last rites on these guys? And he looked around, and he's seen bodies of people that didn't, in a big spaceship. Now, on his deathbed, where he couldn't be threatened, he, he released all this information. The year was 1941. Mm-hmm. Okay. Project Blue Book was started when, uh, in Kentucky, a soldier who went, he, he did dogfight and all like that in Germany and all like, didn't die, went after an object. And everybody else said, hey, I'm running out of air and all this. And he says, well, I'm going to go check it out. Now, I remember seeing in Wikipedia, I'd say about three or four years ago, that he, he looked and said, my God, they look just like us. And then all of a sudden it was wiped out. I'm like, I know good and well what I read. So you can enter anything but in Wikipedia and say, well, but he died of his, uh, you know, uh, running out of air. His watch was stopped. We don't have anything that can stop a watch. And he, he was trying to follow. Let, let's, correct the, let's correct course here real quick. Well, no, it stopped. It. Watches in the 1940s. This is the 1940s, right? Yeah, but, but the watch but wasn't damaged. How, how do watches run in the 1940s? They're yeah. wind up. So what are the chances the watches the watch can stop? Pretty good. In fact, mm-hmm. most of the time when pilots would go up, they'd wind their watch before they took off to make sure that it would stay current while they were flying, no matter what. Even even watches with batteries can okay, stop so, when yeah. the battery dies. Okay, but <laughs> why was he chasing after an object, a large metallic object? Uh-huh. And he was, I think they were P-51s, which shouldn't go to 30,000 feet, but he did. I think they're only rated for, what, 15,000 feet? And know. he went tw- no. almost twice that. The, the P-51 and was actually crashed. specifically retrofitted and, and made to be able to fly at the high altitudes to escort the bombers. So that doesn't surprise me he's flying at 30,000. Okay, so he went there, and then he, he crashed, okay? Right. That was the guy that was so, on that flight. He's the one that started Project Blue Book. Okay. Now, there's a lot of occurrences that they can't explain. Right. That was one of them. The pilot where he saw the, uh, in, I think it was in Washington State, we seen them in the military, uh, um, and it was several of them, seven or eight of them, going 17,000 miles an hour. There's an object, uh, it was in Beaver, Utah, that was recently where he was had a drone, and whatever this was, was knew where it was going, and it went two miles in two seconds. Dude, that is moving. Whatever it was, it was really moving. Yeah. Now, and so they, here's here's what I'll say. There's some unexplained things, but then this is kind of what I want to get back to. Like, let's get to the facts and the basis of the, like the alien theory and the whole idea behind it. I think it really revolves around Roswell, Mexico, and there New is Mexico. New Mexico, Roswell, New Mexico. And Sorry, I'm being the grammar Nazi again. It's the grammar Nazi. <laughs> but uh, when I had I heard a very interesting take on that, and I actually shared this with my mom a week ago, and she was like, "Whoa." That actually makes a lot more sense than anything else I've ever heard about Roswell. So this woman did a whole bunch of research, and she talked to a commander but on basically before he died, like the four years leading up to his death. And she had a lot of this information, but he asked her not to publish any of it until after his death so that it wouldn't come back and reflect on him or his family. He thought people would legitimately have issues with what he was saying. But what year was it that Roswell happened? Grizzly? 47. 1947. And what were we in the lead-up to in 1947? Oh, that was the uh, the nuclear wars with Russia. The Cold War, the right? Cold War. Oh, yeah, very much so. There was okay. no nuclear war. Yeah, it was a Cold War. <laughs> but uh, the research that she did, the people that she interviewed, and she's made a book about this, and there's several podcasts interviewing her and discussing this. So I'm prefacing, and all of this I can reference by pointing people back to these podcasts. But what she discovered was that Roswell was actually the Russians. It was not alien technology. 
And the reason why the government had to cover it up was because the Russians left them in a really bad position. The Russians had apparently mutilated an orphan body of a child so that it looked really crazy and looked like it had big eyes and it looked all messed up. And the grayness that people talk about when they talk about Roswell, talk about aliens and the gray, gray aliens, big eyes. Yeah. is because a human body, when it's decomposing, becomes modded yeah. and it looks grayish. Okay. Yeah. And it was mutilated and they had put it inside of a capsule and they had dropped it from a bomber and it dropped and fell in New Mexico. Now, why in the heck did the government have to cover this up? Why do they? Okay, so what happens is people roll up they on this. They don't want people to think that the Russians can come and drop a bomb exactly. on them. Exactly. So because what does that do? That diminishes our standing and our nuclear race with Russia. And so there's all this pressure of, oh, no, what do we do? Because people have seen the bodies now, and they've seen the wreckage of this little, basically what it was, it was a Sputnik um, satellite uh, capsule Sputnik like like capsule. I'm not yeah. saying it was Sputnik. I'm saying it's no, like no, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they dropped it from the airframe to basically prove to them we can drop nuclear bombs on your head and you can't even detect us. So you guys think you really got a safety net up? You don't. Guess what started getting under construction at that point? NORAD. Okay. So the, so why so what why happened? The child because they wanted there to be a very difficult explanation. Because what happens is you have people that roll up and see this body. And the first thing they think is alien, right? So now you're sowing distrust with the government. This is literally psychological warfare on the people saying, oh my gosh, I saw an alien starship crash. They staged it to make it look like an alien starship crash. And the government had to come in and do one of two things. Either say aliens don't exist or say that Russia flew a bomber over us and dropped a dummy and did this to make us look like idiots. So either you accuse Russia of mutilating bodies to look like aliens and flying over your territory with, with nuclear-capable bombers that you didn't detect, or you admit that there's aliens. So they said, you know what? How about we just don't say anything and people just run with whatever narrative they come up with? So they sat on it, and what did people do? They said, I saw little gray men. I saw little gray men with big eyes. They, they were alien. They were in a, in a space capsule, right? It's super simple story for Russia to be like, hey, you, you pick your poison. You're either going to make, you're, nobody's going to believe you that we mutilated bodies and dropped them on your soil. Either way, it, it erodes the trust in the government. Exactly. And so the government basically sat back on it and said, you know what? We better not go with this. We better not step foot on what really happened here. And so it was swept under the rug, especially because there was no, no, nothing recovered from Roswell that has come to fruition. There's nothing that was recovered there that's been like, every time a president is asked, Obama even came out and was talking about, you know, is there bodies I need to see, right? He, he literally, that was a quote he said when he got into office, he was asking about where are the bodies, I want to see them if there's aliens. They're basically like, it's not what you think. Well, I'm, and Trump said that he would blow the lid if there the was, yeah. and he never blew the lid. You know why? Because there's that, not alien bodies. No, no, they're <laughs> that's, never. That's plausible. If there me. is, if there is, they're never going to tell you. Again, that's that's looking at what's the the simplest explanation mm-hmm. is generally the the correct one. Yeah, it's it's the bit of the Occam's razor on Roswell. And then if we take and apply the things that Bob Lazar said, which were super fantastic, especially in the 80s, I think now that everyone's kind of had, like you get physics classes in high school and you kind of go through things that can explain a lot of what he's discussed. Um, and you can get into you can YouTube a bunch of PBS videos that go in and talking about anti-gravity and they actually talk about warp drives and they talk about the math and the physics behind well, it. Didn't they disprove the warp drive? No. 
There's actually new papers that have been published within the last two years, 2019. I thought you talked to me about something saying that they disproved the warp drive. They disproved drive. that the idea of a warp drive, as far as like you see it in Star Trek, Star Wars, that sort of thing, is not a propulsion device. It can't be because of the energy needed. It would be impossible to get to that. And so using anti-gravity techniques, it is absolutely possible. And that's what the recent articles have been published on is saying we have a mathematical proof it doesn't mean that this is real and that it, that it can happen that we're going to have the technology or the ability to do it but mathematically we can make this happen and well, here's how so i was told a number of years ago when i was going through nuke school and i never vetted this i never went back and tried to verify anything right. about it um i'm only bringing it up because it kind of fits into that that sort of uh an idea was that what i was told was that there was a uh, nazi scientist who was very brilliant guy, but they were using him to build bombs. And he wasn't super pro-Nazi or anything, but of course he was a German citizen and he was... He, he was pro-self-preservation. Exactly. So he was going to do what they were going to tell him to do. Well, apparently in one of the bomb processes that he was doing, he blew himself up. and That's like, a problem. Blew off his hands, I think blinded himself, uh, maybe even like deafened himself, something where he was no longer of any use to the Nazis and they kind of let him be. And so he started one of the things he wanted to do was work on a theory of unified physics. And so what I was told was that in order to make a unified theory of physics work, he had to invent two new forces that had previously never been theorized. And one of the forces that he invented was, or discovers theorized, however you want to put it, um, was a relationship between gravity and electricity. And using that theory, theoretical force, you would theoretically be able to um, move ships through star systems using not super high amounts of, of, of power and using technology that's not super far out of our grasp. Now, again, didn't vet this, didn't really look this up beyond just the story that I was told because it was kind of like, huh, that's kind of cool if it's real, but I don't really have the interest to go and, and try to, to look it all up. So, but when you're talking about that, about using um, manipulating gravity and, and being able to do that with uh, relatively low power, that's what that takes me back to. Yeah. So a lot of the discoveries that we've had in the last 20-ish years through studying space. Um, they've kind of backed away from the Big Bang Theory because essentially the math doesn't add up because our universe is accelerating. It's not a steady-state expansion. Right. It's an acceleration, so something's acting upon it. And right. when they start doing the math of the, the mass of our universe, there starts being major holes with we have all these bodies that we can see and there has to be something because it's something, uh, it's a large percentage, and I'm not even going to say a percentage, but it's more than half of the universe is unseen. And that's where the idea of dark energy and dark um, mass has come into the discussion. And in order to make Newtonian physics work, there has to exist forces that we're unable to see at this time. Uh, and so there's different technology we've used to start proving theories. One of the technologies that we started using was Large Hadron Collider. And that's over in France. It's, it's like a seven mile loop under the ground. That's a vacuum and a magnet. And it accelerates particles up to near the speed of light. I thought the Hadron Collider was in uh, Switzerland. I believe it's in France. But we can always verify that. You can look that up while I'm talking about right. this. So the LHC basically spins up particles around that loop 
up to near the speed of light, and then it has it, it has those particles smash into other particles, and they are trying to hit, make it hit sensors so that we can break down these elements as far as we possibly can. And before they turned on the LHC, they were somewhat concerned that maybe it would re- unleash some energy that they couldn't deal with because, like you know, you split an atom, you get an atom bomb. So. They're like, we're slightly concerned about that, but they had the math to say it would be safe. They turned it on. Nothing horrible happened. They did a lot of testing, and that's where we you know, got down and figured out that there is what they call a Higgs boson. And it's not because we can see it. It's because we can detect that it's absent, and it should be there. So some of these things aren't like we can't see them. We don't have a positive proof. We have a negative proof, if that makes sense. I understand. I mean, the thing is you, we're, we can only see so far. We only have such such good sensors, right? Yeah. We, we wouldn't be able to tell if we're a two-dimensional object, like a piece of paper. We can't tell that the pen is three-dimensional because we can't even see it. So the Hadron Collider is beneath the France-Switzerland border near Geneva. Oh, we're both right. We are both right. That was That's awesome. That's that's always a good compromise. <laughs> that is a good compromise. Well, so much for argument's sake, huh? <laughs> right. We don't even get to argue that one. <laughs> we're both right. And, <laughs> I'd and agree both with you, wrong. but we'd be both right. Actually, no, we're, we're just both right. <laughs> exactly. Neither of us said that it was exclusively no, in there. No, no. So I'm wondering, though, if... If the if there is a relation there, if there is a relation between gravity and electricity, and they're saying that we can uh, theoretically um, power devices that could take us between stars, if it has to do something with the resonant frequencies, okay. I mean, because all matter is is vibrating at a certain frequency, and I'm wondering if that has something to do with well, possibly so manipulating that is will allow us to manipulate the gravitational pull. So when you were talking about trying to unify theory of physics, that's yes. where like th- that's where this whole conversation is going is to this idea of how do you get the quantum and the Newtonian physics to agree? Because quantum physics essentially tells us how the universe grows. It tells us how um, massive bodies interact, where Newtonian physics cannot do the same. It cannot replicate the results, okay? So there's a limitation to what, it's kind of like saying, I've got a really nice um, you know, TI-68 calculator, and then you've got a mainframe computer at a college lab. They're both very capable, one's just more accurate. Right. So yeah. you, it's kind of like a macro versus micro review of the physics. I got you. And to unify those, there has to be something that brings, uh, you know, that they've tried with string theory is, is one of the first major ones that, that people can recognize. And that uh, was verbally. disproven recently, too. Well, not necessarily disproven. It's just shown that it lacks the substance needed to make the, to basically the math through the string theory doesn't add up to the universe. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's, it's not necessarily disproof. It's just saying it no longer is a valid explanation for everything it's not the unifying theory so what do you think grizzly do we need to get hank pym on the job no (laughs) (laughs) here's what i was looking up um i was looking up the the people the dogon warriors okay they talked about these fish people and they said they were let me see if i get the word right I like your uh, pronunciation so you just go with your own pronunciation herma aphrodite uh, fish-like creatures, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, that's different. Now, from what I understand, they, they met these people thousands of years ago. Now, here's the one thing I do know. In every continent on this planet, you have species of people that are tens of thousands of years old that said, yeah, we had these sky people come visit us, including here by the Native Americans. Australia uh, was with the uh, uh, Aborigines. Australia same thing. Okay, well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> And they said they met these people a long time ago. And they, they said that they had... sounds familiar. Australopithecus. Yeah, look, look up Australopithecus. Okay. It's, I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. 
look it up. <laughs> but you're doing you're doing a like a little mesh between a fusion with the Gigantopithecus, which would be a very large ape that they found the teeth of that would have been around ten feet. Mm-hmm. Now, a ten oh, foot okay. gorilla. Australopithecus be. is one of the uh, one of the believed pre ancestors of human right. beings. Gotcha. Okay. Still didn't. Uh, it's I, a filler. I knew I, knew I recognized it's the, the word. It's the string theory Proceed. of evolution. Proceed. <laughs> so, well, to jump back, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but to, to finish up my whole thing about the whole physics and how it ties in is essentially, in order to get this unification, uh, have you guys heard of Eric Weinstein? I've heard of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, not that jerk. <laughs> no, this guy, in fact, um, he, he's very offended by the fact that people keep mispronouncing his name because it's very similar to Eric Weinstein, but it's Eric Weinstein. So it's it's a different spelling, slightly. Right. But anyways, super smart guy, him and his brother. Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> Grammar Nazi again. But um, anyways. Why? No, that was just, that was a reference to Young Frankenstein. I know. It's a Gene Wilder movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's wild. I did a Mary Shelley's. <laughs> you know who parents? Actually, okay, so Gene Wilder did star in it, but I, I should give credit where credit's due. It's a Mel Brooks movie. True. But so anyways, the, the so Eric Weinstein has come out with this theory, his theory of what ties it all together. And the reason why he's kind of hated in his community is because he's a mathematician, not a theoretical physicist. So they have no love for anything that he's ever done. And he kept getting shut down over the years. But he basically has a somewhat unifying theory that is supposed to kind of solve all these problems. Um, I don't know that it necessarily does. And I don't think that unifying the quantum world with the Newtonian world is going to do much good in the overall picture. I think that quantum, when you look at quantum physics and what it proves and what it shows, it works. It, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's how the math works to be able to get the universe to happen. Um, so, but in his theory, everything circles and there's these, um, patterns. Th- yeah. There's basically these revolving patterns and I think he's wrong. I think it's all, it's all hexagons, <laughs> hexagons. Cause hexagons well, are the best gods. Well, but you know, a hexagon is, it, it could just be made of circles that are so small. You can't I see think it. this is his version of hip hop. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, to the it's, really don't stop. So if anybody out there has ever uh, listened to the, it's a YouTube guy uh, called CGP gray and he does a lot of educational videos. And one of the ones that he does, one of the ones that he did recently is on hexagons. And in there he says, hexagons are the best of guns. And he goes into why hexagons are actually the superior polygon, but oh, it's uh, very nice. Yeah. I, I just, I love that line. Hexagons are the best of guns. And uh, it drives my wife nuts. She hates it. So you had to drop it in here so she'd have to hear it again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, but anyways, so basically pulling it back around to the whole idea of like, there are so many things that we don't know that it's really hard to say anything definitive. But when you have somebody like Bob Lazar going off the deep end saying, oh, element 115 exists. And they're like, no, no, nothing like that exists. And then, well, we can synthesize it. So we'll say that it exists, but we can't stabilize it. Well, but even, okay, yeah, if, if the they longest, make it. the most stable isotope of 115 it lasts for only, I think it's at 430 milliseconds. Exactly. It's a, so... Or, 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 or so they claim. Here's what I believe. Well, as far as I what believe we've been able to replicate. Say, if they say this is an element and they finally admit it, right? that means they've been using it. Not necessarily. I well, promise you they have. No, I mean, I, the I think is, is that the, the idea is that they're able to and they figure were out quiet a way. About it. Oh, they're able to figure out a way to build upon the nucleus of an already existing 
element oh, but in order to make it, it larger and to make in order to add the pro, protons necessary to make it a new element. To be specific, I mean, that's they were actually the, dividing. They're actually they're actually trying to no, they break were, apart atoms. No, they were bombarding americium, however pronounce that one. <laughs> they were bombarding americium with uh, chlorine to break it apart. That's what I'm trying to say. Is they're trying to break apart the element? Break it apart. Yeah, because you need you need the elements to separate well, the neutrons to separate so they can combine and become well, once to 15. break apart. Well, to break apart the chlorine is that in like order to get it to add on to the americium in order to make Moscow. That's what I'm trying to say. It's, and it's, it's like taking the egg yolk out of not the a, egg. Yeah, it's not an additive process. Like you're not just you know trying to combine some atoms. No, you're I mean you're not sh- you're not shooting a, a stream of of protons at. Uh, at 114 but, in order and to this get is it the to problem 115 if element 115 has these properties of being somewhat anti-gravity maybe that's why they're really struggling to get it to happen now, not, I don't think they're struggling I think that they for them they admit that it's even out there here, here's what I think it does I don't think it le- leads credence to the idea that there's aliens but what I think it leads credence to is, is the fact that Bob Lazar was accurate in his assessment of what he was learning and trying to reverse engineer. So if he's trying to reverse engineer an element 115, then it's acting as the propulsive device for an anti-gravity propulsive engine. Where did that shit then, come from? Then his piece of evidence that he may or may not have escaped out of a lab and put it into a vacuum tube and showed light bending around, that that stable part of that element and that it was videographed, okay, so it's it, it's documented, doesn't necessarily mean it's real. It could have been spoofed, but in the eighties they didn't have, you know, Photoshop. So editing a video back then on tape was very difficult. And there's he's he's been real like I think it's him. Everyone's saying, well, for his own protection, he can't admit that it's him that got some of this out of the lab. But well, when you when they're talking about synthesizing, they're trying to replicate what they've already got a sample of. And I think that also to me leads some credence to the idea that there's something they're studying in S4. And there's something they're trying to replicate and synthesize because they know that it exists and they we don't have yet the ability to create our own element 115, although maybe we've got some that we're jacking with. I don't know. Coming from a guy who has done stuff just because he can, I, I think that there are a lot of scientists out there that are like, I think we can make it, we can synthesize a higher uh, a higher uh, element, a, a higher molecular weight element mm-hmm. that we can go beyond what we already have in the periodic table. It's and part they of our DNA to, to experiment and find out and figure out, hey, I wonder if I could do this. The Godhead you... among said there's nothing imaginative to him that he cannot do. Well, Red... If it can be thought up of, it can be made. Yeah, and, and that's my thing, Red. I just want to say you guys are talking about bending light around. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, and I'll show you guys this later, but... I actually saw uh, a video where these guys, basically it was a series of four lenses, and they had constructed the lenses in a way that when you stuck an object in between the final two lenses, I think it was the final two lenses. Anyway, when you stuck an object in between them, it was completely invisible. You couldn't see it. The object? Yeah. Wow. Bending light is something that the first time I even heard of the concept, of course, was the Predator movie, which is my favorite character. I love the character wait, because wait, wait. Of everything. From I think it. I just realized Red is saying that this is element one fifteen. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? So, I'm, I'm saying it's a possibility. Here's what I'm but saying: you know how it ties to what you're saying. The, the yeah. mirrors put an object in front of the mirrors. No, yeah. Yeah. smoke. Okay, and mirrors. so yeah. Bob Lazar said <laughs> they smoke found up your ass and mirrors <laughs> bending the light. So Bob Lazar said he found they found these 
buried, which I don't believe. I think they, which it, may well, not the, be the case, and he even admits that. He said, I don't think he was buried at all. I think they uh, they found him crashed because if if, if a spaceship. You know, well, let me give you this. You it had to as, come from as somewhere a part else. of finding the spaceship, right? He gets asked that question from day one by by George Knapp. And he gets asked this years and years and years later, and he's stuck to his story. It's always been consistent. He's never claimed to have seen aliens. He said he has seen the foot of things that they are working on, and it maybe it was alien, maybe it wasn't. But he's he's he has seen the foot of a body that they recovered from something. But that's all he knows, and he's not claiming it's alien, and he's not claiming that it's anything extraordinary. But they're working on they're doing medical procedures and looking at things in a lab setting as he's walking through on his way to his lab. So. If there was ever somebody that you're going to discredit, you'd be like, oh, well, okay, so you saw this element 115, and you're reverse engineering the propulsion device, and you're trying to replicate it with a partner in the lab, and he even named who this partner was, and the guy exists and doesn't want to talk. <laughs> so of clearly, course. He's he probably worked, the head of the Clearly, he works for S4, right? So clearly, he knows the people, and he knows the systems, and he knows what's being done to try to reverse engineer it. And people have asked him, well, Bob, why did, why did they pull you in? Why, why you out of anyone else? And he's like, I think it's just because I have a weird way of looking at things, and they just needed a new, fresh set of eyes on it. And when they were done with me, they got rid of me. I wasn't there long. And that was the, you know, and so I think that leads credence, credence as well as he didn't try to go drumming down the road as saying he saw alien bodies in S4. He tried to keep it to what he actually saw and never claimed to have seen an alien and said, I, this is just That's what true. I saw. So he's he's never trying to He emphasized it. on the technology and what he was designed to do. But here's the question well, then. The question is, these ships and this technology had to go come from somewhere. He, he did claim to have seen here. the ships, okay? And his, his description of the ships almost identically, if you go back and listen to Joe Rogan's podcast and you watch the documentary about Bob Lazar that um, uh, Jeff something or another published this documentary a couple years ago. It was a big hit on Netflix. Go watch it again. But these ships are almost identical to what we are seeing the videos popping up right now from 2004. The Tic Tacs. And what they do is, he said that the pilots would get in them and they would lay, they would basically, they're, they're, they're an oblong shape and they, sit back and they fly in it. They basically, um, like Bobo Fett's ship. Oh, slave one. There you go. They fly like that. They get up on their back and then they just whoop, they move through time and space and they use a brain interface that, that it's kind of like we're in a mesh. Like, like, a like they do MIT, a neuro mesh that they put over the head and then that's how it controls the ship. And they, so they control it by thought and the, basically nothing happens to the pilot. They don't feel any acceleration because again, this element 115 is supposedly creating the gravitational wave of anti-gravity that it's riding like on. a cushion basically. And it's, it's not really pushing things out of the way. It's just basically making them non-existent. Like it's not, it's just, it's nullifying the forces. Um, yeah. Maybe subdimensional is a way, a good way to say it. Like it's, it's moving throughout the okay, dimension. It, here's what I'm going to say. Affected by it. it and, I, and it's an old cliche. Just cause you don't see something doesn't mean it's there. Just cause you don't understand something doesn't, doesn't mean, it, mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. So I think, I think that's why Bob Lazar is becoming a little bit more credible of a, of a story. He Not said him himself, but his, his, story and his how background. How can you disprove and, what he said? I'm not trying to sit here and say that everything that you guys are talking right. about is oh, I don't complete BS. I'm saying that I'm skeptical. Mm -hmm. I need more information and I definitely need more proof. Yeah. Well, well, well that's what Bob or, uh, 
George Knapp was he he refused to publish a story until he had enough evidence to prove that there was actually something worth publishing because he's like this is too wild and he took them out so Bob Lazar took them out to Area Fifty One and watched over Papoose Lake and showed them ships flying and that's where you get the stuff from the eighties is grainy footage <laughs> of these cameras. I'm trying to focus in on these lights flying around in these weird ways. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's one of those ships. And there's what it's going to do now. And then it would do it. And, like, exact things that he saw, he was telling him, this is yeah. the dates and times are going to fly. This is the patterns are going to fly. They're going to test it in this way and that way. And they took George Knapp out there, and boom, it's happening. So at first, George Knapp thought, this guy knows what he's doing, but he's got to be, like, a government dis disinformation guy, right? Like, he's here to throw me off the trail and put me in the wrong direction. But then when he found out that the government wouldn't admit that he existed, then he's like, okay, something's going on. It is because and they – look, here's the – the race is you want to be the only ones that have yeah, you don't, the, the best technology. You don't want the Russians getting it. You don't want China so, getting it. Here's what I remember. Um, I remember when the Iraq war happened that the Chinese – Gulf War? Or? Uh, no, the, uh, with Bush, the second Okay, Bush Iraqi freedom. Came. So the Chinese and the Russians said don't invade. Right. Bush did it anyway. Kind of like Russia with Crimea. Okay, so, well, no, but this was probably a little <laughs> accurate. And so, but here's the thing. Uh, what did they do about it? Nada. So what do we have that they fear so much? Well, what do they have that we fear so much that well, we're not, not sure. stepping in I'm with Crimea? Sure I think that we're just, we don't want to un undo another war on that kind yeah. of a scale. I mean, going in, going into the Middle East and beaten down on guys that don't have anywhere near our level of resources is one thing, but going, I, we don't want to do a full scale war. Like and let's we talk had. about justification for one second well, and say, if we justify a war with Russia over Crimea, why have we not already attacked China for the human rights violations? Oh yeah. Which is way more down well, the world compass of the, Oh, I would completely well, agree with the that. The only time we've ever really got aggressive was the Bay of Pigs. And they they were serious about that. Yeah, but that's, Cuba, but that's it's subversion. That's a whole different thing than what we're talking about. This is, Crimea is not a subversion issue. Neither is China. This isn't us going and trying to missiles stage operation. in Cuba would be a problem. Sure, they would for us. But that's why. They, so it happened. Cuba had missiles from Russia. They weren't nuclear capable, and they weren't pointed at the United States. And we had that information. And that's Bay of Pigs went down because we were trying to set the Russians up into a bad position so that we could actually get some soldiers on the ground in Cuba to try to help the locals that were rising up against it because we didn't want actual missiles there. And they knew they didn't have them. They, we knew Russia had not put nuclear weapons on Cuba. And so, you know, it was, a, it was a subversion mission to basically make it look like something bad was happening. We need to jump in. But that's well, not what's happening. When happened the Cuban missile crisis happened, we sent my beloved ship out there to stop <laughs> the Russians from dropping off those warheads. Okay, right. The one thing I'll say about Russia, as we were talking about Russia, um, I read this Reader's Digest article in my grammar, and I thought it was science fiction. It turns I, you, out it wasn't. The Tungusta, the Tungusta blast, which yeah. actually did happen. Some object blew up at uh, uh, 7.08 a.m. June 30th, I think it was, at 7.08 a.m. in 1908. An explosion happened. 10 miles in the air and it flattened over 800 kilometers of forest. Yeah. And what made this strange was you had this one area to whatever it was, when it hit from 10 miles up, it, it, it exploded there. And then when it came down, it made, I think another explosion. And that was like the 15 megatons, which is like the castle Bravo one. Okay. I mean, that'd bring the bells all the way across the earth. Do Well, here's what it was. It was unique about it. There's several things. There were people that could read their newspaper 
at midnight in England. It went around the earth eight times. The shockwave? Yes. I believe that. Okay. It's something that big. Yeah. They don't know if it was a spaceship. They don't know if it was a comet. They don't know if it was a meteor. There is no... Uh, there's nothing. no residue left behind. Well, well, no, there's definitely... Well, I don't know if there's residue as much as there are flattened trees. Yeah. Now, you... Like with Hiroshima, it was designed to, when it blows up, about a thousand feet, and then it dumps its contents. Right. It doesn't actually okay. impact with the ground. Okay, so it yeah. didn't. What this did, whatever this was... It stripped, when, uh, it, now you had one that they called the cauldron, which was smooth like this, like, you know, my, like glass. And, it, and there's still nothing growing there. Then you had a couple of miles from it, you had trees that were stripped of its branches, and it was just charred. Right. And outside of, let's say, five miles, you had trees laid down for hundreds of kilometers. Yeah. Now, had something like that hit a U.S. citizen, I remember this is 10 miles up, and it caused that much damage. Thank goodness it ended up in a very unpopulated area. Yeah, and and it it makes you wonder, what was it? Why is it there? And how, and a lot of people want to blame Mr. Tesla. They may think maybe he was doing experiments, but I don't. (laughs) I don't know. Hey, that'd be a cool story. Well, Tesla <laughs> Tesla claimed to have a death ray. Really? He, yes. And he well, tried to sell it to the United States during World War II. Okay, how did and this death ray work? He wouldn't disclose that because he was uh, trying to get them to buy it. Okay. But he claimed to have a, de- a death ray that he tried to that he tried to sell to the United States during World War II. They didn't want to buy it. So he actually went to a couple of other allied nations and tried to sell it to them. And nobody wanted to buy it. How old was Nikola Tesla in 1908? He'd be a kid, right? Uh, Yeah, I don't think he was super old in 1908. I didn't think so either. I think he died in 70s, in his 70s. And I think that was in the 50s. I don't know. Let's let's look look it up. Well, here's the thing. The, The Tunguska Blast, there's still no explanation for this. They don't know what happened. All they know is that hmm. there was a monster explosion. He was born in 1856 and died in uh, 1943. 1856? So, 1908. He was a young, what, he was what, your age? He, he would have been in his 30s. So, yeah, I, I think it, now that I'm seeing this, I'm kind of remember. I think it was leading up to World War II that he was trying to sell these things. Okay. But, no, of course, he didn't try to sell them to the Nazis, but he thank, was. Thank uh, goodness. Yeah. Thank God. No, he, oh. had, he had principles. So, it, it, look. It, but, it makes you wonder what really did happen because obviously he could have been involved in this. But he was Serbian. That's yeah. interesting. He was born Serbian, but he came over to America. Like, what year? I don't. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna read through. You guys keep talking about. I don't remember what year that the Tesla came over, but Tesla was. Tesla there was came nobody over to like America, him. Um, and he was started. To, he came up with the idea for alternating current. He worked with Edison. Uh, he. Was the it was his designs that built the uh, oh that they put the uh, power plant up on Niagara Falls. He was born in Croatia and lived in um, the Austrian Empire until 1891, and then moved to America in 1891 and lived there until he died. Yeah. Well, so oh, and he was a college dropout, by the way. Well, uh, yeah, one of the I've most never brilliant college ever, and he was a college dropout. Well, 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 here's the thing. Could he, so whoever did this, this could have been an experiment that he made that, oh, this turned out bad. But in case something does happen wrong, there's hardly anybody in the area. 
So the death. So rate, where was this? It's uh, Tungusta. by the Tungusta River in a place they call Vanavera. No, Vanavera, Russia. Yeah. Oh, well, then, like in the, there's hardly anything there. No, Siberian. He wasn't, he wasn't plateau. Over in, he wasn't over in Russia. He was, no. He was his, in the United States. No, his then. his lab was actually in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, but if you're, but here's the thing: if you're wanting to do an experiment, and you're like, example, the the Philadelphia experiment. Yeah. They were trying to make this disappear, but it went back in time. So making something disappear, how does that translate to going back in time? Well, you use a lot of energy. And what is that? If I'm correct, the way wormholes work, you bend space and time. Not necessarily bend it. Like that, that's the what, when people are or, trying to or explain. Or should a better word be manipulate? When, when people are trying to explain moving through time and space, they're like saying, you know, it's a piece of fabric, it's a piece of paper, and it bends. And, and it, well, you don't. You're going to fold the paper over. And that's then a you basic understanding. Pass from it. one side to the other without having to go through the rest of the paper. Right. And that's it's an interesting way to visualize it, but it's not actually what's happening by any stretch of the imagination. Well, if you're going to go from one place to another, you have to learn how to basically break a person's body down on a molecular level, send it through time and space, and make it reconstitute perfectly well, somewhere else. And this is why I say that... Without having a fly in the room. The quantum <laughs> physics has its place. The quantum physics has its place in that because... Or Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that would be. Even oh, I'm, no, wait a minute, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I'm feeling okay. Better. I think Abramson's hasn't seen this movie. No, we got a, oh my, the fly, dude. No, oh. one of the best sci-fi film, films ever. Okay, I missed they have it. two versions. They have one in the fifties. I watched it as a kid, and then you all of a sudden I remember at the end of the movie you see something. Help me, help me! And then the guy looks, and you see a spider going toward this fly yeah. that looks like a human. <laughs> And, of course, this guy grabs he, a rock. He doesn't and have any context to understand what you're talking about. Okay, here's what happens. A guy creates two pods, okay? And is this he's like able to, I shrunk the kids type no, thing? No, this is, like this a teleportation is teleportation. Thing. So he's okay. able to teleport one object from one place to another. But when he does this, a fly when gets When he tries to do it on himself. So when it reconstitutes, the fly reconstitutes with him. So you want to talk about physics for one second? Quantum physics. So how would this... So this is something I was actually discussing with, with uh, y'all's mother-in-law, okay? Discussing this with her, we have actually done experimentation and papers That's were published on this. a weird way of saying my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I want to do it from frame of reference for y'all. Um, but yeah, my mama. So I was talking to my mama about this, and they actually had done... They have done an experiment where... Do you know what quantum entanglement is? Does that ring any yes. bells for anyone? Okay, so you understand that red a little yes. bit. Yes. Okay, quantum entanglement basically says you can have two particles that are separated by time and, and distance literally as far as you want. You could literally say one particle is on one side of the universe, the other is on the other, and they're infinitely far apart and whatever, but that they can, their state, their, their state of existence, if you will, can trigger the other at the same time, that they're basically intertwined through time and space, no matter how far apart they are. And that quantum entanglement is due to the, the energy connection that's outside of like our realm of understanding. Right? Okay, what do you mean? What do you mean energy connection? Okay, so I'll try to give you a brief idea of like how to perceive this. If you imagine a photon, a piece of light that's moving through time and space, when we tried to figure out if it was a, if it was a particle or if it was a wave, meaning it's moving through like a radio wave. It's... Kind it's both, both. <laughs> because when they do, when you put it through, uh, when you split a beam of light and you put it through two slits in a piece of paper, you get a cancellation wave, meaning there's dark spots and bright spots. And so it looks like a wave pattern, like a wave cancellation, like you'd see the ocean, right? But then if you just take a snapshot 
of the particles flying through and hitting the paper, and you just turn the sensor on and say, where did I get hit by light? You just see a bunch of little dots. But the more dots you get, the more you see it's in a wave pattern. So it's both, right? And so that led to further discovery of the quantum entanglement of these particles. And I'm really shortcutting this subject for brevity. So bear with me. When a piece of light is traveling through time and space and we're able to see it, meaning that we're able to sense it in any way, shape, or form. So when light hits your forehead right now, which is nice and shiny, when it hits your forehead and it bounces over and it hits my eyes. I think he waxes his dome. <laughs> I'm detecting the... It's called soap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm detecting the radiation. I'm not actually detecting... I can't see the light itself. I'm just detecting the radiation off of your forehead. Okay. So w light is funny like that. Hulk we smash. We can detect the effects of light, but we can't actually see light particles with our eyes, right? So we have to have the instrumentation to do that. And as we as the observer now affect light because of how we're taking or absorbing the radiation. So when they're trying to determine if it's a wave or a particle, they decide to send it through a series of mirrors and they put a sensor up near the top and a sensor near the bottom of a zigzag mirror pattern, and then they turn on one of the sensors first and the other one on second and try to determine did it come through as a wave or as a particle. And as they did that, whatever they turned one instrument on and it detected, it would force the other to do it. But it, and, and if they turned on the second instrument to detect it and then they turned the first one on and read the first one first... They, as the observer, have now affected the second result, and it changed from a wave to a particle form. I'm really, like, this is not what it's actually doing. I'm trying to just put this in perspective. I'm That's sure almost there's sounds, a YouTube video that could explain this that, way better. That, that, way that sounds better. almost like ripples in time. Right. So what happens is, as light's traveling through space, and we can actually see it, it's in what we call a redshift, meaning that it's spinning to the right as it goes through the space-time fabric. And if it spins to the left or turns to a blue shade means it's slowing down, it'll actually go out of existence, meaning we can't detect it. It's no longer in our purview. And since it has no mass, it has no effect on our environment, it no longer exists. But the second we turn its quantum entangled particle on and detect it, it turns that light back on and it spins it back right and it turns it red and it makes it visible in our universe. So there's an experiment that was done several years ago. They published a bunch of papers on it where we had... We did this experiment with a satellite that was outside, well outside 100 plus miles of Earth's orbit on a satellite. And then we had a, a science lab on Earth that had quantum entangled particles and did the experiment with the quantum entanglement and actually made the quantum particle that was in the satellite spinning around the Earth change its state by changing it on Earth. And so we were able to prove like actually physically prove that there is quantum entanglement and that you can actually change things over time and distance. And it does not matter how far or how long it is instantaneous change. Okay. So the idea of quantum quantumly entangled particles, using them for communication arrays is really one of the only ways that we believe that we can communicate um, through uh, star systems. Correct. If you can communicate, you can also travel. I still think there are races that are far more advanced than we are. Well, that advanced in what way? Like, are you talking about the resultant? Technology. That's what I'm saying. Are you talking about the resultant now, do technology? Do I think that they're the that much different anatomically? I don't think their uh, so-called aliens are that uh, different than us, personally. It would be irrelevant, really. Well, so yes and no. among us. They could be? They could. And here's the thing. Um, if they're like you, human-like, then they're going to look at, you know, 
us as, you know, not necessarily inferior because uh, from what I understand from all these other ones, they said that, you know, uh, like the, uh, the Anunnaki, which is the oldest text that we have from the Sumerians, they went in detail about them and then just said that they, uh, you know, and, and this is no secret. And, you know, the sons of God saw the daughters of men saw that they were fair. And they said they had giants and they're men of renown and all like that. So if they're human, they probably would see women and, and their women and, and probably inter, uh, intermingle. Interspeciate. Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, here's what we do know. So now we're on to that. <laughs> so, it, yeah, because that's the one time you can genetically manipulate. Now, well, to give an example of why I think that we are actually advanced and don't realize it, okay? Because a lot of this comes down to how advanced is some other species than us, or if there is aliens, or are we the smartest thing in the universe? Like, what is it? We're definitely not the smartest to, thing in the universe. To just try to put it in perspective, the biggest mainframe computers we have can do some things that you could say, oh, a human can't do that, right? Well, the reality is, like, let me give you an example. Like, I thought it was the funniest thing. Did I send you guys that Lex Friedman quote where he talked about the uh, the DNA data transfer? I don't think you did. Between humans? Oh, this was incredible. I'm going to pull this photo up. But essentially, we are a biological computer that is more efficient like energy efficient and is more capable than any kind of computer we currently have. We are eons away, yeah. even with quantum computing, to getting to the level of what a human brain can do. Right. The capacity for storage of information. Yeah, I've is actually incredible. heard that as a uh, as a critique against the Matrix of why did they say that we were they were using us as batteries when where there's far more efficient uh, item uh, objects and organisms to use as batteries and instead of saying that they're using our brains for the processing power. Absolutely. But if so, you have, uh, I mean, there's uh, almost 8 billion humans on this planet. Let me if give you an idea. If we're a resource, we'd let, be a pretty good resource. Let me give you an idea of how good our hardware, our wetware, if you will, <laughs> is. <laughs> All right? The brain uses 10 watts of power to do up to 20 quadrillion calculations, synaptic firings, one million times more than a modern computer. So we just the wetware that we have in our head, that human brain is is still a million times more capable than any computer that we have right now. Ten watts is about three hundred calories a day. So the human computer requires three bananas worth of power to operate. <laughs> That's it. Three bananas. Three bananas a day to operate. That's incredible. That's certainly a lot better than my work computer. That thing yeah. dies after eight hours. And it does it a million times better. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. it, it, here's the thing. How much of our brain do we actually use? Well, if no, you want to talk about data, here's some data numbers for you. Ready? Okay. A sperm cell has 760 megabytes of DNA data. So just the DNA data that's in the sperm cell that's going to go to the egg and say replicate this DNA in the egg, 760 megabytes of data there. Okay. Sex, then, is a data transfer of 200,000 terabytes. You're giving some nerds some major boners right now. Oh, I, oh yeah. <laughs> this or, is Or dads. I, I, got, I got a mental boner from this one well, because we, uh, this is cool. Yeah, we're, we're all, you know, when you're all fathers, you know, it's a little different. Yeah, I mean, look what so. data you, you know, we, we created some beautiful human beings. Yes, so we, yes, we should I be did. proud of that. Yeah. We should be proud of that. But when you realize, like, here's his other comments I thought were hilarious. He goes, P.S., the data is highly redundant and compressible, meaning that, like, you can compress it like you can do a zip file, right? Okay. Most of the data will be discarded, like, literally all but 760 oh, megabytes. Oh, gosh, there are so many jokes behind this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
Step to the left. (laughs) (laughs) The best part of you ran down your mama's... The actual data transfer takes up to several days. Right? Yeah. And this is, uh, he's just like, by the way, this is just a fun estimate. It's not a hard spec, right? Like we're, we're not a hard varying, spec at all. No, 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 not no. a hard spec. Our, our software <laughs> has to be hard in order to work properly. <laughs> uh, actually, our software becomes hardware. That's it's what incredible. she said. <laughs> that's what she said. I'm getting shot for that one. Woo. Okay, boys. We're, well, we're human. <laughs> we have covered a plethora of information on this one. And I th- actually thought it was really good that, that read you had a whole differing opinion on some of this in, in a good way, yeah. which was more of like, Hey, I'm taking logical steps to get to B where, where Grizzly and I are like a to Z, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I, I can get to Z pretty easy. I can just sidestep this and sidestep okay. that. I, I'll say I, this. I need that, I need what that did, path. <laughs> what did George Carlin say? And he's famous for saying this question, everything. This is what I taught my children. You don't have to always agree with me, but find out for yourself because everything that's shiny ain't gold. And you notice that some pundits will be like almost all, if you look out throughout history, the people that are famous now weren't famous at that time. Jonah Ark was burned at the stake. All these people were burned. Luther, I think, was burned at the stake. But everything that these people were talking about was true. We're giving those final words to Grizzly this evening, folks. Join us on Facebook for the sake of argument podcast, and we'll continue the discussion over there. Have a good night.